Internets. This week's episode of the Combat Jack Show is brought to you by Bevel. Start shaving smarter with the first and only shaving system designed for coarse curly hair and sensitive skin. Order your Bevel razor today by going to GetBevel.com and use the promo code COMBAT to get 20% off your first month. That's GetBevel, G-E-T-B-E-V-E-L.com. Stop shaving like a wimp and shave like a boss. ATL, man, I love Atlanta, man. Yo, man, I'm a little mad at Atlanta, man. I mean, what you know, happened? being a New Yorker, man, Atlanta's calling me because I'm looking to relocate. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like, it's, <laughs> it's a little bit between LA and ATL. I haven't made a decision. <laughs> Yo, let me take these goddamn fronts out, man. <laughs> Brooklyn, baby. Wait, wait, so y'all really fuck with the Combat Jack show? Yeah. What's your favorite episode? Foxy. I heard a Foxy. I, I, I can't hear y'all. <laughs> Yo. All right, Eric, Eric B. Yeah. <laughs> red man. Red man. Red man. Wow, that's an old one, man. That's you. Yo, Ray, you're definitely I heard, a dedicated listener. I heard some Corey Pegues fans out here, you know. Guru, young guru. Yo, yes, yes, yes. Yo, Keith, what were you saying? Nah, we. Have, I heard a Corey Pegues. You know what I mean? A couple Corey Pegues. Okay. You know. Are y'all feeling comfortable out there? Did y'all have enough drinks in, in your system? Do y'all do y'all do y'all fuck with acid? They got the they got the best uh flavors out there. For for those of y'all that smoke, no, do do we have any boxes of acid? Can That's we, what they we, really can want. Can we pass them around? Can we That's can we get y'all some that. of that acid experience? That's why they said that. <laughs> no, I want to shout slip. out acid, man, because you know, like I always say, man, dream those dreams. Mm. And I had this dream about taking this show on the road. And the day that I decided to to move this thing forward, man, like I got a call from my boy Stace. You know, like, shout out to Sway for making this happen. He yeah, connected yeah, me to yeah. the brothers over at Acid, and this thing has been powered and moving ever since, and is getting bigger and better. So I really thank y'all. Um, salute, salute. You know, I want to give, I want to give, I want to give some, some, some hometown love to Boss Up. Y'all fuck with Boss Up? You definitely want to shout them out for, for being a sponsor of this, as well as Play Clothes, man. Yo, you know, I'm a little nervous up here. I don't know why, because we've done like, what, 300? episodes and shit you know no no what it is is this man you know um i respect atlanta i love atlanta atlanta's always been very good to us and i don't want to give you all the bullshit you know what i'm saying so without further ado and and this is the other thing too man like y'all gotta understand i grew up watching ed lover i grew up 
listening to Ed Lover. You know what I'm saying? I grew up laughing because of Ed Lover. You know, so it's not every day that I, well, it is kind of every day that I sit down with legends and legacies. You know what I'm saying? But this one is definitely close to home because we come from the same era. So without further ado, please, let's give Mr. Ed Lover a warm applaud and welcome. No Ed, no, no Ed dance, no Ed lover dance. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> what? <laughs> That's crazy. First of all, big up to everybody that came out, man. It's, it's really um, heartwarming, especially to see so many younger people. How many people are like 20, 25, 26? Yeah, it's, it's great to see y'all out here because I know y'all was like, who the fuck is that lover? But um, guess what? You're going to find out today because it's, it's not all that you uh, think it is. And big shout out to Combat Jack, man. Big shout out to give it up for Combat Jack, man. Come on, man. Y'all fans of the show. I'm a fan of the fucking show, so big wow. up to him all the time. Wow, big up you. to Acid. Where's my cigars? Y'all got like a pe- Like, I smoke religiously. I was smoking before I came here. Y'all got a peach-flavored cigar that's to fucking die for, and they only, like, <laughs> sell it in Florida or some shit. So can I get a box of them motherfuckers? Can, Let's can we, go. Can we get them a box? Can we definitely get them a box? Thank yeah. you. I love them shits. Wow. Yo, how you feeling, man? I'm feeling good, man. Um, You know, it's just... It's wild for somebody to say to you, hey, listen, I want to do a, a podcast, you know, and I want you to be my special guest, and we fucking going live. Like, to me, that shit is surreal. Like, I'm marking this as another notch in, 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 in the steps of my career. Like, this shit really means a lot to me that y'all came out. I really mean it, for real. I appreciate it. That means a lot, man, because, you know, when you hear someone like a, a Howard Stern say that the, the king of all media, you have really covered all aspects of media. You've covered television, you've covered radio, you've covered TV, you've covered movies, books. Like, what's next for you, man? Um, I think what's next for me is producing. Um, you know, um, my syndicated radio show is based here in Atlanta, Georgia. Y'all can listen to it every weekday morning from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. on Boom 1029. It's the Ed Lover Show. Moni Love, the legendary female MC is my co-host. And um, we, we're really working hard on that. And from that to producing television, I got a new show called The Comeback Kings and, and SMH that um, that just got picked up by Amazon Prime. So wow. I'm real happy about that, man. I'm working, man. I work. What's that about? What is it about, man? Uh, well, the SMH show is about oh, – this is fucking retarded. It's about <laughs> I'm the main character. I am a disgraced radio DJ in New York that gets caught in the casino in Queens getting my dick sucked by a transsexual. And it's like, hey, yo! Well, we all know who that happened to, right? Um, and Hey, it is what it is, man. Hey, it's a new day. It's a, it's new, a day. new day. This is true. This is what the story, this is the basis of the story. And um, I get disgraced. I get fired. And I had owned a house in Atlanta a long time ago. Never had no furniture and shit in it. So I moved to Atlanta to start my new life. My cousin is the head of the black department at a fictional 
talent agency called SMH, and he brings me in to take care of all the black talent. So that's what it's about. And I'm just, I got a gambling problem. I sniff coke. I love prostitutes. Yes, my I'm nigga. Like the, yes. I'm just like the most fucked up degenerate ever. Yes, live trying, your life, my dude. Yeah, trying to get my life together and trying to handle their careers at the same time. So we got Jada Kids. Um, I got my man, uh, Jaleel White that plays Steve Urkel. Wait till y'all see the role this motherfucker's in. It's nothing like Urkel. Like, and, uh, Lisa Ray is on. We, we got a bunch of people on. Uh, Little Mama plays my assistant. It's just fucking crazy, man. It's that's, crazy. That's dope, man. Listen, you know, like we usually do on the Combat Jack show, man, I like to talk about, um, you know, when did you first get the inspiration to do what you did, man. Like, like what you do. Like, what was your household like growing up, man? Oh, man, I grew up. I grew up in Queens, New York, in New York City, and it's crazy because I grew up right between like Hollis, Farmers, Linden, St. Albans. Southside was a ways away, so I grew up in a spot called Queens Village. Clue and them later on started calling it. Desert Storm and, and all of that shit and envies from there. We're all from the, we're all from that same neighborhood. But when I grew up in there, it was called fucking Queens Village and it was not cool to be known from being for Queens Village. So because y'all, y'all was middle class, right? Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. I, I lived in Brooklyn from the time I was born to about 1969. And then, like I said, my father got a job and we fucking <laughs> got the fuck out of Bedford Stuyvesant and bought a one family house in Queens. And and that's where I grew up at, man. And it wasn't cool to be known from Queens, so you identified with whatever was the coolest spot next to you. So the coolest place next to us was Hollis. So it was Hollis, Hollis, Hollis. Somebody said, where you from? You didn't say, I'm from Queens Village. You said, I'm from Hollis. You know what I mean? So it was Hollis, and in the St. Albans, there was so much music and everything that was coming out of that area. Like, Jam Master J lived on 2-5th. I lived on 2-9th. Run lived right down the block. DMC lived on 197th. LL was right off of Farmers. You know, the... um a uh, large professor was right there. Nazanin was over in Queensbridge Projects, which is a ways away from us. But Nori was right there in fucking Left Rack. And, and dudes was just in, in Tribe Called Quest was coming off of Linden Boulevard. All of that shit was happening. Salt and Pepper was right there. And Herbie lived in Left Rack. A kid and play lived over in the other section of, of Queens. All that music was coming on at the same time. And I was not into it whatsoever. Like, I heard, mm-mm. I heard hip hop. I liked hip hop when the tapes start floating around, but I was a musician first. There was a time in my life you would never see me without my trumpet. Never see me without my trumpet. My first beginnings in the music business was I was in a funk band called Oasis 2. There are a lot of embarrassing pictures of me floating around out there with pink tights on. Like we were parliament funkadelic to the fucking tilt. Shag or Jerry Curl? I didn't have either. I had a shag. Yeah, I had the shag. I don't know if y'all know the shag is the haircut when your hair was short right here, but then you had the puff in the back, and I used to hot comb my shit. I had a had a mean shag. So, so what what got you into rap, man? What got me into rap was I was listening to all the music that was coming from Melly Mel and Grandmaster Cass and all the dudes from the Bronx. And my cousin and them lived in the Bronx. And whenever he used to visit, he used to bring these tapes. And he used to bring me all, you know, like Curtis Blow shit and, and, and Melly Mel and the, and the Furious Five and the Crash Crew and, and Grandmaster Cass and them. And I just got bit by the music I heard. And I used to go to the park. And there was a guy around me, by the, around the corner from me by the name of Keith Sadler that had a crew called Master Sounds. Now, back in the days, the DJ was the most important thing ever. It was about who had the biggest sound system. And who, when they jammed in the park, 
we go up to the park and listen to the music and jam and I just knew some rhymes from shit that I heard on, on tapes that nobody else in Queens knew. So I used to ask, can I get on the mic? You used to bite? Oh my God, did I? <laughs> did I? I heard, I heard, I knew a child is born with no state of mind from Melly Mel's Beat Street before it ever came out in the movie. So, you know, they'd be in the lunchroom and people would be banging on the table and they'd be like, ache and rhyme, ache and rhyme. And I'd jump on the child was born with no state of mind. Blind to the, you know, all the Superman and I, we had a fight. And then I hit him in the head with the crib. And at that time, I was known as Eddie D because everybody had a fucking D. You know, like Chuck D had Chuck D. Or Ski. Or Ski and some shit like that. And I was Eddie D. So I was the E double D, the I E D. I make a crippled man walk, make a blind one see. A blind man see, make a crippled man walk. All the ladies in the 80s love the way I talk. What? That's what I was doing, man. Yeah, I was doing it. And that's hip hip hop bit me, but it was music from junior high school through high school. And then when I got in my first year of high school, there's a guy that lived down the block from me by the name of Michael Grease. He played percussion and he was in a band called Oasis 2, and they were looking for a trumpet player. So he said, hey, Ed lives up the block from me. He plays trumpet. So I just walked down the block to my man Mark Skeet's house and got into this group called Oasis 2. So I was always torn between hip-hop and funk. And in the weekends, my band would play every little bar. You couldn't go to a bar back in the days, ladies and gentlemen, that didn't have a funk band in it. We was 15 and 16 years old where we couldn't drink playing four sets an hour a set a night in a bar somewhere all over New York City and I met Full Force and, and, and all of these guys because they all came from the same band mentality that I came from but on anytime I had a day off I was in the park on the microphone. Yo, you have to explain to me and to our audience see I'm from Brooklyn and I'm so partial to Brooklyn like I love Brooklyn MCs and the whole nine I feel Brooklyn is the best place in the whole world I know in reality Atlanta is the best place in the whole world but what what is it about Queens what was it about Queens that produced so many prolific artists producers entrepreneurs at the same time it was like this cauldron man besides Staten Island we were the most disrespected borough in the city if you told somebody, that's why they came, that's why Clue came with Desert Storm, because if you told somebody, I live in Queens, you live in Queens, you live in the fucking desert, man, because we lived in a two-fair zone. You had to take the train, and when you got off the train, you took the bus to get to where you lived at. Traveling you by public lived, transportation. You guys lived the A train, get the fuck off. Queens is not home. fun, B. Yeah, that, and that was our advantage, because when y'all came out there to start shit, you had to get two things to get home, and we whip your motherfucking ass before you got to the second thing. That was, always had the girls, though. We had all the, all the women were in Harlem and in Queens, for sure. And that's what it was. So being so isolated and being so away from what was popping just like this and living in these pockets of, of middle class America, it was just like we got this chip on our fucking shoulder, kind of like the Wu-Tang had in Staten Island. So we were like, we're going to show them. We're going to show them. We're going to show them that Queens got some motherfuckers. And we absolutely showed the world. We shocked the fucking world. So how did you transition from being a musician in this funk band to becoming part of this rap group called No Face? No Face started as Oasis 2. Okay. It's the same guys. It was like 11 of us, and then it would dwindle down over the years. We used to drive, we used to rent cars and drive cars to come to Atlanta for Jack the Rapper. Jack the Rapper was one of the biggest conventions in Atlanta in the, in the late and mid-80s, and we would come down here trying to get a record deal, bringing our demos. I remember one time we ran into Russell Simmons. Now, Russell Simmons I knew because of his brother Run, right. and Russell Simmons had a disco, it was called disco, on Hollis <laughs> Avenue called the Ice Cream Parlor. Right. 
And Russell used to do parties in the ice cream parlor, and Curtis Blow used to come through the ice cream parlor and do it. And Run was then a DJ known as DJ Run, the son of Curtis Blow. Yes. So when Russell started Def Jam, we just started, fuck, I need a deal, I need a deal. And we were corn. I remember we cornered Russell in the elevator one time and just start playing our demo. As soon as we got in the elevator, and Russell was like, that shit is garbage. <laughs> and we, you know, tucked our tail between our legs and went back downstairs. I met Hammer when he was MC Hammer, the Holy Ghost boy. Where'd you meet Hammer? I met Hammer at Jack the Rapper. He was a Christian. He's a Christian rapper. So, yeah, he was. He was MC Hammer, the Holy Ghost boy. There's a single floating out there. Y'all Google it. You can probably find it. So we went from, we went from Oasis to, to dwindling down members. And I had always wrote parodies. I was always a good parody writer. I actually went to the Latin Quarter in New York one time, and I did I did um, my skeezers. Run DMC had my, my Adidas, Adidas, and at the time, women were called you know skeezers. What's a, what's a thought now? Was yeah, a skeezer, skeezer right? Yeah, skeezer, 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 skeezer. So I did I did Red Alert. I never forget Red Alert was DJing, and he got up, and whoever was the host said, "Oh, the host was dude from um." Um, protected by the red, oh, the black, oh, oh, um, X Clan, dude from X Clan was the host, and, and Lumumba actually was the host, and he said, "What's Professor your name?" X? Yes, and he said, "What's your name?" I said, "I don't have a name. My name is Ed." So he was like, "All right, Ed's getting ready to get on the mic." And Red Alert, I told Red Alert to play the other side of my Adidas, and I did my skeezers. So I always wrote parodies. So when the band shit just kept. Not working and not working and not working. We did a parody of the Jungle Brothers Girl I House You. Mm-hmm. It was called Hump Music. Right? <laughs> so when they did Girl I House You, we did Girl I Hump You. And then the second half of the record turned into Girl I Fuck You. And we were, we patterned ourselves as the East Coast Two Live crew. Right. So from there, the, we did so many fucking gigs. And I remember one day we were in the studio and we were doing, we were doing songs and they was like, yo, what are we gonna call ourselves? We can't put this out as Oasis 2. I said, well, we don't have no face in this business. Nobody knows who we are, so let's just call ourselves No Face. And that's how No Face started. And y'all had a buzz to the point that eventually y'all ended up getting a deal with Russell, right? We had our own label. At the time when Jam Master J had JMJ Records and everybody had their labels, we had No Face Records. And the first act that we put out was a girls group called Bitches With Problems. Do y'all remember Bitches With Problems? Y'all remember that? BWP. Oh, y'all, y'all are old. Y'all are old right there in the middle. <laughs> yeah, NWA was hot. So we put NWA was hot and Holes with Attitude was out, HWA, and they were trash. And we knew our girls were better. So we put out, no disrespect, but you know, they weren't that good. So we knew we had some girls and we put out BWP, Bitches with Problems. And they had a song called Two Minute Brother that did very well. And if you listen to the Two Minute Brother record, that's me rapping back against her <laughs> on Two Minute Brother. So Russell, you know, Russell uh, took a liking to us, and he gave us No Face Records. And the very first video that we did for Two Minute Brother was directed by Hype Williams. Wow! So you put hype in the game. I had to sign off so that. So hype you put could do hype in the game. Day. Yeah, absolutely. Hype went to Andrew Jackson High School. Yeah, hype went to Andrew Jackson High School. So you know, Mark said Mark was my partner. Mark actually lives here in Atlanta too. I'm um, doing a lot of, he's an entrepreneur, he's a brilliant dude. And uh, Mark said, yo, I got this dude from Jackson where I, you know, and he's a, uh, he's a director. You listen to give him a shot. And I was like, what's his name? He was like, Hype Williams. I was like, you believe in him? He's like, yeah. So me and Shy was like, all right, we'll sign off on it. Yo, yo, that's crazy. That's crazy. So listen, man, like 
What were your real aspirations, though? You wanted to be in a band. This rap thing started kicking off, but you were smart enough to know that back then, in the 80s, you, people really didn't have a viable career in hip-hop. So really, what was your, what was your, what was your A plan? plan, plan a? My A plan, what my dream was, my dream was to be as big as Cameo or Parliament Funkadelic or whatever the group was. We changed our name. There was a group called Oasis already, so when we turned professional, we couldn't be Oasis 2 anymore, so we changed our name to the Function Freaks. F-U-N-K-T-I-O-N-F-R-E-E-K-S. And when that stuff didn't work and people just started dropping out the group and dudes was having kids and I can't do this no more, I got a daughter. It was always the three of us, the core three that stuck with it. So um, we just changed our name to No Face, man. And we did that Hump Music record and Hip House was hot as hell. Yes. And we went on tour with KC Flight and Jomanda wow. and Ten City. and Ten City? Yeah, we was just... Did that take you around the world? Yeah, it took us all over everywhere, man. And we have girls come out with the Pacey's on. Now, at this time, MTV rap started happening. So what we did so that MTV wouldn't find out what I was doing is we wore ski masks on stage. (laughs) And at the end of the show, we pull a ski mask on. People are like, oh, shit, that's our lover. So it was crazy. But at the same time, you were smart enough to even hold it down with a day job. As a yeah, security yeah. guard in high school. In, in Andrew Jackson High School. From my first, 80, in 1989, we got the call to do Yom TV Raps. Fat Five Freddy started in 1988. They wanted to do a, a daily show in 99. Fab turned it down, thinking that he would be overexposed. Thank you, Fab. Yeah. Ted Demi, the late, great Ted Demi, who directed Life. He directed uh, a lot of stuff with Michael J. Fox. He directed a lot of Dennis Leary's stuff. The ref was a friend of mine from... Church, actually. His, his parents were Episcopalian. He wait, lived wait, in Ro- Ted Demi. Ted Demi. And his, you grew up in church I knew together. Ted Demi from high school. Wow. His parents were Episcopalian. My best friend, Kurt Flirt, from, um, yeah, from Power 105, his parents, his mother was Episcopalian. So when they went on the church retreats and shit, they used to take me all the time because I'm Kurt's best friend. So Kurt has something to do. So they take me and we meet this white kid named Ted. Ted Demi, and he knew hip-hop the way we knew hip-hop, and we go down in the church basement and drink all the communion wine and <laughs> smoke weed. That and, communion wine is yeah, delicious, B. Shit, that man is Shevitz is everything. Man is Shevitz, B. <laughs> and one time we stole Ted's father's car and went joyriding. So, so I, we just kept in touch, and all through high school, and when he went to Cortland State, we just kept in touch. So when I was watching MTV as a friend's house, because I didn't have it in my house yet, we had uh, WHT, well, Mecca Home Theater. The little box used to show movies sometimes. Yeah, WHT. So when I looked and I saw the name Ted Demi on the end of a promo, I was like, yo, Kurt, Ted works at MTV? He was like, yeah. And then when I saw the pilot show for Young TV Raps, which uh, Run DMC hosted, and Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince was on, and they were on tour. And that show went through the fucking roof when it aired. And I saw it produced by Ted Demi and Peter Darty. I started hitting that phone crazy. Ted, you got to let me on the show. You got to let me do a record report. You got to let me do something, a movie review or something. Nobody knows more about hip-hop than me. You got to let me do this shit. So when Fab said no, Ted called me and said, hey, they're doing auditions for the shit. So I was like, okay. He told me the day to come down. So I walk in, and he put they put me in like an office to wait. And I walk in, and Dre is sitting there, right? And, uh, is, that, is that your first time meeting That's Dre? my first time I met Dre. And uh, I knew him from original concept, but I knowledge didn't Knowledge we? Yeah, knowledge me, uh, man. I didn't put the two and two together. And he was on Adelphi Radio with Chuck and Flavor and Spectrum City and all of that. So when he when I walked in, he said, 
what's up, yo? I'm Dr. Dre. I was like, yeah, nigga, good. Right? So, you know, like, I didn't pay him no attention. I'm like, this dude, all full of himself. Fuck that. I'm about to go in here and get this job. So, Dre, Peter Doherty, who was executive producer, knew Dre. There was a yo before Yo! TV Raps. It was in England. And there was a young lady by the name of Sophie Bromley that hosted the yo! in England. And they showed a little block of hip-hop videos, but only in England. Peter had spent some time over there. Ted was pushing MTV to go black and, and, and capture hip hop at its essence. And, uh, Ted and Peter were like, let's do it. And they gave him that pilot. That pilot had the best ratings they had ever had damn near on MTV. They commissioned Fab. They said, we want a daily show because Fab show took off immediately. And uh, I went in audition. Dre went in audition and Ted said, I need a different aesthetic for the daily show because it's an in studio show than Freddie. Why don't y'all two audition together? And I said to Dre, what's your background? He said, well, I'm Jamaican and, and American. I said, well, me and man can speak with a Jamaican accent and a bomba yeah, man. Right? So Ross. Dre did his accent. I did my accent. Ted filmed it, took it in, and they said, go. Now, who, who were some of the other people, do you remember, that were auditioning for the show? It was, it was The only person I saw at that audition was Dre. But wow. from what I understand, there was thousands of people that came in. And they said, we like this Abbott and Costello-looking shit that we got here. And they said, $1,000 a week. And well, that's that's good money back then. No, split. <laughs> oh, split between Dre and I. <laughs> split. And Dre said, I'll take five. I was like, I got five because I'm working for school safety. I got a city job. I make $723.56 every two weeks. I'm good. I live in my mom's Yo, crib. Was caking. Well, yeah, so I, I was, yeah, so that's how it happened. And then we got on. We had no dressing room. We had nothing. We used to step, like, actually behind, like, the set and change our clothes because what we didn't do, we never saw the videos. We would just lead to them. We never sat there and watched the whole video. So Ted would go, um, bust a move is coming up by Young MC. And me and Dre would do our thing. Hey, welcome to food day or exercise day. What's happening? I'm Ed Lover and I'm Dr. Dre. Yeah. And then we'd talk some shit and then Ted would go, go lead to the video. Okay. This is bust a move by Young MC. And the daily show took off in less than a year. We were on for an hour a day. Yo, that's crazy. That's crazy. So, you know, before yo and yo MTV raps, the only thing we had was video music box. Yeah, in New which, York. Which, yeah, which was, sure. which was ve- revolutionary. And even at the time, you know, uh, Run DMC's Rock Box was the first rap video that ever aired on, on MTV. Yeah. Because re- MTV had this practice. They had like this discriminatory practice of programming. They didn't want to put on black artists. They didn't want to put on rap artists. So did you have any idea how revolutionary Yo, MTV Raps is going to no, be. No, because you're just doing it. You know, MTV wouldn't even show Michael Jackson video until Sony had to, Sony threatened them to pull all their videos off. They never showed anything off from the Off the Wall album, which is probably one of Mike's greatest works. You know, and then when they did Thriller, they were still hesitant. So Sony went and was like, listen, you don't show Michael's video. We're not playing anything. We're not giving you any Sony artists. And they had some of the biggest artists in the world. So MTV would have died without Sony's artists. So they put Michael's stuff on. But when we started doing Young TV Rats, I had no idea that it was the show it was. I'm going to tell you when I found out that it was the show it was. Uh, Dre and I got, um, we got brought in to host a show in Detroit, Michigan, at the Joe Lewis Arena. NWA was on the show. The same thing that y'all saw in Straight Outta Compton, Dre and I hosted that show. Okay? 
So I'm backstage with Dre, and I'm like, oh, my God, nobody knows who the fuck we are. This is Detroit. <laughs> like, only white boys got Yom TV raps and, and where they live at. No, and the guy said, ladies and gentlemen, introduce your host for the night from Yom TV raps, Dr. Dre and Ed Lover. And we stepped out, and they went fucking nuts. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, we are really, really on to something. Like, this shit has taken over. It's like people run home to watch this every day. And at that same show... I was standing on the side of the stage, right down, like, by the front, and Cube decided to do Fuck the Police when they had said that they weren't doing Fuck the Police. And that bop, bop, bop you heard when they ran off the stage was the cops lighting M80s and threw them on the stage. Uh, I was standing right there. I was standing next to the fucking cop when he did it. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. crazy, That That was in Detroit in Joe Louis Arena. You know, not only were you guys revolutionary on air but during yo's run mtv hired a lot of black people behind the scenes as well yeah they did todd one came in and then penny mcdonald and moses edinburgh and jack benson and all of these people started working there but what a lot of people don't know is that dre myself ted and fab programmed the show we played what we wanted to play as long as it cleared we programmed it Knowing what I know now, I wish I would have known back then in 89, 90, I didn't know the FCC didn't regulate it. So I could have sat back and went, all right, Russell, if I don't get $100,000, I ain't playing no more <laughs> Def Jam shit. Payola. I could have took payola, <laughs> but I didn't know. We were so happy to be there. We were such fans of the music. We were never trying to be bigger than the artists that we bought on the show. I was never trying to wear a bigger chain than Big Daddy Kane. For me to meet Kane and Rock Kim and, and Chuck D and and have Run DMC that was from my neighborhood come through and have Nas come through and have all of these artists come through to my show meant so much to me. But I had no idea. When you're living in the moment, you don't know what's going on. You're just living and enjoying you're Right. You're right, man. Now, coming from New York, I'm, I was very uh, East Coast centric. I was very, very close minded to shit that was even in Philly. Or Jersey, so I didn't really have any type of appreciation for music that was coming out of the South, music that was coming out of the West. Like, were you from the same mindset, and that that changed? Yeah, when- for me, everything was bullshit. If it was, if it wasn't New York, if it wasn't Rakim or Kane or KRS One or one of, to me, it was. God. I remember the first time, and I always tell Too Short this story. <laughs> I remember the first time Life Is Too Short cleared. And they said, y'all can play this. And we was in Ted's office. And Ted said, I got this new um, video from this kid out of Oakland. His, his album is called Born to Mac. His name is Too Short. Check out the video. And we're sitting there. He comes out. I remember how it all began. I used to say dirty raps to all my friends back then. Couldn't, you know, Sir Too Short coming straight from Oakland, California, home of the rock. I'm like, what the fuck is this rap? This shit is trash. ABC. Uh, rhyming ass. You know, you had Kane. Let it roll. Get bold. It just can't hold back a fold. Cause I'm the man with so. And you know, we used to people flipping. So when I heard that, I was like, oh, this shit is trash. But what we did was we took the music from one hood and we gave it to another hood. You know what I mean? Like you had regional video shows, but nobody knew what was going on in Compton until we brought it to you. Nobody knew how Oakland was thorough as fuck until we told you it was thorough as fuck because we bought Too Short and NWA and Ice-T and, and all of these people to the forefront so that the world can see. And we weren't a United States show. We were all over the world. 
Dre and I stepped off the plane in Japan. There was 25,000 people waiting at the airport to see us. That's how big Young TV Rats was. It didn't just show in the United States. It showed, I meet guys from Nigeria, my blood. Oh, my God. Love you. Oh, listen, I learned to speak English because of you, my friend. Like, that's all they had. You know, like Wisconsin and Idaho didn't get rap on the radio. We barely got it. You know that? Yes. We had Red Alert and, and, and Molly Marlin. And, and Chuck Chill Out. Right. One time a week. And then late night Friday, late night Saturday, these other places got no radio, no hip hop on the radio. I remember, remember WBLS in New yes, York. Yes. Like WBLS, no rap, no rap, no rap. Yeah, they wasn't fucking with it. So their outlet was your MTV raps. You know what's crazy? And I was just thinking about it today when I was putting my notes together. You know, this is twenty years before the internet. This is this is years before social media. This is years before Black Twitter. You guys were all of that. You guys were the internet. I wish then. we had Twitter. And, but, and but you guys were that. MySpace and Facebook. And no, you Instagram. don't. Not, not back then. Not back then. Point eight million followers. <laughs> I could have monetized that shit. <laughs> Word. It's crazy. Yo, um, talk about the more comfortable you got on MTV. Eventually, y'all started getting censored. Yeah, we got comfortable when we got a contract. Right. For the first two and a half years of Young TV Rats, Dre and I had no contract. We didn't, we weren't, they could have fired us and said, we're getting out of here any moment. We were making $500 a week a piece. We, um, we went in, we, we signed with Leo and Russell and Rush Management. Leo. They were managing y'all? Yeah. Leo walked in. As, 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 as VJs. As VJs. Leo walked in and put the numbers in front of him, and we all walked in together, and we talked about it, and Leo said, you guys step outside for a minute. They did give us a little bump. The second year, we went up to $750 a week apiece. Leo walked in in the third year, and we had a meeting, and Leo asked us to walk outside. I mean, stay outside, wait in the lobby for him to Why did he ask you to walk outside? I, because Leo was doing Leo. And if anybody knows Leo Cohen, Leo is your motherfucking mother sucker. You know, Leo cursed him out. So Leo's with the head of MTV and, and people, and he asked us to wait outside. We, we wait outside, and about half an hour later, Leo walks out with this long face. And I'm like, oh, shit, Leo done walked in there, Dre, we got fired. And we walk to the elevator. We get in the elevator, and Leo looks at both of us and said, motherfuckers, you owe me. I just got you $250,000 a year apiece. What? What? Leo is a beast, man. <laughs> yeah, of course. Leo, you know Leo. Yeah, Leo's a beast. Leo is a beast. So, so two questions in one, man. That was the end of my uh, job, too, as a security <laughs> officer. <laughs> That's when you quit? Yo, I didn't quit. They actually fired me because I wasn't coming to work. Yo, how were you doing your MTV raps and going to be a security guard at because a high school? Because a lot of people at the time in the hood didn't have MTV. That's right. So they didn't know. But once it started exploding and, and cable started going into the hood and people started knowing that I was on Young TV raps, I had to take off every Thursday because that's when we shot Young TV raps. Right, right. So, you know, they, you know, when you work in the city, they just can't fire you. Right. You know, I have rap and, you know, I'm in a union and shit. <laughs> so, you know, we got to have a hearing. So we go to the hearing and I'm telling hearing. Yeah, at downtown in, in New York City. I'm at the hearing and I'm like, listen, this could be good for y'all because I'm taking Uzis and handguns and 45s off of kids in the school. I'm like, if I blow up on you on TV raps, that's something positive for them to see. Right. City wasn't hearing it. So they had another hearing and Ted had scheduled us to go to LA at the same time. I didn't show up at the hearing. I got fired. He's like, fuck that hearing. I'm like, fuck y'all and y'all $723.56 every two weeks. <laughs> and you never look back. Never look back. Never look back. Mm-mm. 
This week's episode of the Combat Jackson was brought to you specifically by Spotify Discover Weekly. Spotify Discover Weekly is a weekly playlist curated just for you. Every Monday, you get a brand new, unique playlist personalized to your exact taste. Go to Spotify.com slash Discover Weekly right now to get your playlist. If you like what you hear, let us know at Combat Jack Show or at Combat underscore Jack on Twitter. And don't forget that you can listen to the Combat Jack Show on Spotify Mobile too. That's Spotify Discover Weekly. And now back to the show. Well, now, mind you, at the same time, I'm still in no face. Right. So we go, we start working on our first album. Which, was that a conflict with MTV? Then? Yes. We work on our first album. It was called Wake Your Daughter Up. Right? Yeah, it was, yeah, Wake Your Daughter Up, We Wanna Fuck. It was actually the name of the album. Oh. So, yeah, we had a, <laughs> yeah, we took the, we took the Parliament record and did a pattern. Oh, we wanna fuck. Wake your daughter up. Yeah, we was wild. No faith just came here to fuck. Possibly to get a dick sucked. So we was wild. Yes, my nigga, yes. Yeah, we were the, we were the East Coast 2 Live crew. We actually had a record on that on that album with the two live crew called Fake Hair Wearing Bitch. <laughs> yeah, we just started popping and we was just wilding and shit. So we was having a lot of fun. You fake hair wearing bitch. We did it over uh, a burn rub on me. So boom, 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 boom. We wilding. You know you on my dick and why you on the front on me. So we was wilding. So uh, MTV got wind of what I was doing. That's when we had the Rush Associated right, label. Right, right. And they were like, you can't do that. It's morally in your clause that you can't be on something like that. Now, at the time I'm programming, we have the label. So me, Mark, and Sean decided it's best for me to stay with MTV right. because anything they put out, I can program it and That's put right, in. Right. So I'm still a part of the label overall, but not a part of the group. They made me take my name, my likeness, my picture off the album. Everything. Was and you then, tight about that? I was, I was mad as fuck because I've come from 1977 with these dudes and here we are 92, 93 and I got to walk away from something that I spent my whole life building with these guys. And then years later, they bring Jenny McCarthy on and she gets to do a naked ass spread in right. Playboy. Right. And that's nothing. Right. But you want to shut me down for doing something that I've been doing my entire life, you know? Yo, I always wanted to ask you, and even now you, this, this question is popping up, man. Do you have a photographic memory? Because you remember rhymes like no one else can. No, no you know what? I, I, not, not really, but when it comes to my story, and when I eventually write a book, I think I'm going to let other people that were involved in the stories tell the story because they remember more stuff than I do. And they remember a, a lot of things that I really don't remember. Oh, hey, remember that time? And I'm like, oh, shit, we did that. So, you know, they remember more stuff. But when it comes to hip hop and that was, that's my thing, man. I was, I'm, I'm an MC, you know. You are an MC. Yeah, I'm an MC, man. I was on Tony, I mean, uh, yeah, Tony Touch's 50 MCs, a mixtape. Like I'm, rap is just for me is, it's one of the most beautiful poetic things that's ever happened to us. Our shit. Like it's something that you can't take away from us, no matter what. Like these are cats that didn't play an instrument, even though I did play trumpet and they didn't play anything, but made music with a turntable and a fucking microphone. It's Gil Scott Heron. It's the last poets taken to the next level. So when I hear good rhymes, I can't help but to love this shit. Cause it's so, it's so intricate. Like these dudes sit down, some of them write, some don't, and they come up with shit that just, just blow my mind some of the time. You ever had to, you remember when records was out, you had to pull the shit back? I'm like, damn. You Make know the scrunch I mean? face be like. Like, I remember the first time I heard I loved it, though. Yeah. 
Right, Jay Z and, yes, and, yes, and yes, Biggie. Yes, 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 yes. Right, and I remember the fucking last verse that Biggie said: "We hit makers with acres, roast shakers in Vegas. You can't break us. Loft, ch- you know, loft stacks off Lakers, gassed off Shaq. That's that's some shit. And then uh, and then he said: uh, "Most of these cat, most of these rap cats ain't seen war. Couldn't score if they had point game. They lame. Speak my name, I make you dash like, like Dame." Dame. I love the dough. And Dame Dash is Jay-Z's partner, and Jay-Z's on the record with Big. That's fucking incredible right there to me. Yo, I'm so glad that you that you really claim yourself as being an MC, man. Yeah, I'm an MC, man. And and your freestyle game is impeccable, man. I'm 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 there's way better in freestylers than me. No, of course, of course, but like, to me, but, Snoop Snoop is crazy. But on you've the never dropped a mic. When it came down to freestyle, and never. No. When you was on air, when you was on TV, when you was on radio, I've never seen you falter. When I, it came I down to love, freestyling, man, I just, I just love hip hop that much. Like that's in my heart, and I can't believe that all these years later, that I'm still making a living because of it. It's amazing to me. You know, it's been damn near thirty years, and I still get paid. It's beautiful, right? Isn't it yeah. beautiful? Yeah, hip. But God bless hip hop. God bless hip hop. God bless hip hop. Yo, let's talk about some uh, seminal episodes, man. Um, the Shut Up episode. What was that? With Tupac? No, no, with you. When y'all couldn't talk throughout the entire episode. That was just something that we decided to do. It wasn't nothing to it. It wasn't. It, I think MTV had said some dumb shit about uh, stop shouting out this, stop shouting out that. Dre and I used to get, when we started popping, we would get tons of clothes. Like, Starter would just send us boxes and boxes. Carl Kanai. Carl Kanai. I met Carl Kanai on the streets of Los Angeles. And he had on the Carl Kanai suit. And I was like, yo, I like that. What's your name? He's like, I'm Carl Kanai. I was like, you made that? That's your shit? He was like, yeah, it's dope. I got a spot over here, and I got people in my basement, and I make custom clothes, and I'll make some stuff for you. And I was like, thank you. And he made some stuff, and I started wearing it on your own TV. Oh, that's rap. crazy. Yeah. So and, you uh, blew up Carl Kanai. Yeah, Carl Kanai is still a good friend of mine, man. And, and he always says, Ed, if you, did, if you didn't wear it on MTV, it would have never gotten as big as it was. You know, and cross colors, and we did that for everything. And then the tie top hats. Do y'all yeah. remember the tie top hats? And then my man, then MTV started trying to blur out the logo. Why? Because of y'all? Because it was free advertising. Right. Yeah, it's free advertising. But it was because of y'all. Because, because they didn't us. do it to nobody else. So what else. we did with Starter was we left the tag on the hat. <laughs> so y'all started that. Yeah, before Bell Dip DeVoe, if you look back, Dre and I got tags on our Yo, that's crazy, y'all. Yeah. That's, that's what, crazy. That's how we got around it. So they was talking some dumb shit about something. I was like, you know what, Dre, fuck them. We ain't talking the whole episode. <laughs> so that's how the Shut Up episode came by. We just, we wasn't going to talk. Yo, have you, do you, have y'all ever seen the Tupac episode? The crazy Tupac episode where you got your hands over his mouth. Can we talk about that? Pac was my guy. Yes. Um, from Digital Underground. Um, I knew him because I knew Shock, you know, and it's funny how a lot of people thought Shock and Humpty were two different people. We just, MTV would just cut it. He would just go change his clothes and they would cut it so that they would be together, but it was two different shots. It was just edited that way. And Pac was a roadie. So we got to talking and, and everything got cool. And my man Stretch, um, God rest his soul from the live squad. Live squad. It was my time to shoot. I had a, like that scene in Juice. And we met Pac on the set of Juice and them two 
connected crazy because they both smoke weed and they were both wild as a motherfucker and Pac used to was just our guy and he'd be at my mother's house and we'd be sitting on the steps and we'd get on a train and go to the Apollo and we would just hang out and we'd come down to Jack the Rapper and this is right around when he was getting ready to release his first album and he was my guy and I didn't want him to get in trouble when he was talking about beating up the Hughes brothers right? because Pac was supposed to be old dog and minister society but the, he said that they fired him on some punk, bully, bullshit, pussy shit. And so when I saw him in traffic, I whooped both they motherfucking ass. You know how Pac get all fucking hyped up? So I knew that was going to get him in trouble. So I put my hand over his mouth before he can say anymore. They saw the episode, subpoenaed the tape, and took that and used it against him in the court of law. That's crazy. That, yeah. ended, that ended up leading him to jail, right? Yeah, the, the first time. The first time. Yeah, we were down here at Jack the Rapper one time, and we was up at some, I don't remember who's, probably might have been Columbia or one of them, and, you know, I'm the blunt holder for some reason, because I didn't smoke like that. You're the weed carrier. Yeah, I didn't smoke like that. I smoke a half a blunt, and I'm fucked up for the rest of the day. I need to go to sleep. So I'm the blunt holder and the weed carrier. So I got all the weed and pock and stretch, and they just back to back, to back to back. And the security guard comes, they go, hey guys, um, you guys can't smoke weed up here. Man, fuck out of here. Fuck you, motherfucker. Fuck I said, Pac, come on, man. You gonna, some of them gonna go call the cops. He came back again. Y'all can't smoke weed up here. Pock told him again, fuck out of here. So I knew he was going to get the cops. So I took all the weed and all the blunts and I put them in the blunt box and I gave it to Nikki D. Yes. From that. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> they wasn't going to mess with her. They thought we had the weed. So when the cops did come, they wrestled us all up and frisked us all down. And Pac had like a half a blunt on him. And, 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 uh, Stretch's little brother, Madge from the group Live Squad had about a little half a blunt and they carted them both off to jail. And I had to go to the bank and get some money and barely motherfucking ass. <laughs> That's out. crazy, man. Yeah. And then the one time we were here at Jack the Rapper 2, I was staying in the, ho- the hotel where they had a party. So we stand there, Pac go, yo, let me get your room key, man. Get, get, give me some pussy. I said, <laughs> you want my room key, man? You ain't fucking on my bed. No, I'm going to put the thing over it and then, you know, I won't fuck this. I'm like, all right. So I get my room key. I'm like, yo, who you, who you getting ready to smash, dog? He go, look over there, look over there standing right there by the door. And I look and it was left eye. Oh. Right? So check this out. So he <laughs> takes my, God rest left eye. So this is a true story. I was there. So he took the, he took my room key and him and left eye make they move. And they go upstairs, and not even seven minutes later, he's back down with me. I'm like, yo, what happened? I said, what happened? You hit that? He said, man, let me tell you, man, I took my clothes off, my guy in the bed, I'm ready to smash. She talking about, let me get more comfortable. She go in the bathroom and come out with some naughty by nature drawers on. I'm like, fuck it. And, and even though him and church was tight like that, he was what? not having that. So, that's, so that shit was not sexy at all. Yo. Not sexy. Yo. Man, I got some Pac stories for your ass, man. Yeah. Me and Pac got thrown out of Magic City one night. Really? Yeah, like physically. Why? How do you get thrown out? Physically thrown out of Magic City. Like the bums rush. If anybody's ever been to Magic City in <laughs> and Atlanta. And he's a little dude. You know there's about five steps up. Yes. Before you get in. When I got thrown out, I never touched the steps. <laughs> neither did Pac and neither did Stretch. Stretch had to be like 6'9", 280 or some shit. The guy told us, listen, Pac. Ed Lover, we know who y'all are. You got to stop touching the girls. We're like, huh? You got to stop touching the girls. We pouring champagne down the smalls of backs. We sticking 20s to asses. And, oh, you know, savage. We coming from here with it. Yo, listen. 
Charles, who still runs Magic City, who's Magic's partner, still there. Y'all got to stop touching the girls. All right, man, fuck out of here, man. We have a good time. We just spent like $1,000 in here. Now we can't do what the fuck we want to do. And we just still wilding. Pouring champagne. We wilding. Pac jump on the stage, pull his pants down. here in his drawers. He wilding. Pac, get the fuck off the stage. We having a good time. We smoking weed. Next thing I know, I felt a hand here. <laughs> and on the back of my pants by my belt and the motherfuckers hustle our asses to the door and chucked us like, like Jazzy Jeff got chucked out of the Fresh Prince's house and we hit the ground and roll over into the fucking dirt and pop out of fuck y'all motherfuckers and we outside motherfucker don't blow this shit up motherfucker we just wildin man just wildin yo that's crazy man yeah I saw I saw him 15 minutes before um he got shot 15 minutes. He, he, they had stomped dude out and they came through the MGM Grand. I'm at the Betty Boop Bar because that's where all the pimps hang out at. So I'm hanging out with Don Magic Juan and Pretty Tony and all of these and Pretty Dre and all these and we just talking shit and drinking. And at the time we were kind of like on the outs because Stretch, you, you and me and Pac was right. on the outs. Stretch was, uh, Pac's best friend. And if I see this Pac movie and he's not, an integral part of this movie, I'm going to be very upset. Yes, yes. Um, I'm his god, his daughter's goddaughter, okay. and so is Tupac. Wow. And um, Stretch had gotten killed in Queens, and at the time, Stretch was right next to him when he got laid down in the studio. Um, the and Quad Studios, when he got Quad shot Studios in New York, when he got New shot. City, right. Stretch was right next to him, and Stretch were they were friends. It was Biggie, Pac, Stretch, Nas, all of these dudes were friends. So when he started going on his rampage against Biggie, he wanted Stretch to choose a side. Stretch was like, I ain't got nothing to do with what you and Suge doing. I'm not signed to death row, homie. I'm not going to ruin my relationship with Big because you got some shit in your head that ain't true, you know, against against B.I.G. Right. So we were kind of like on the outs because Stretch died, and then we had the MTV Video Music Awards, and they had the after party in Bryant Park, and I stepped to him and cursed him out in front of every fucking body he had standing. I stepped by myself knowing that these dudes could probably beat me into a fucking coma. Right. But my heart was just so full of my dude whose name is still tattooed to my left arm to this day that you didn't show up for this dude who held you the fuck down in New York. And we had words, man. I turned around and then the next time I saw him was that night and he came through with Suge and he stopped. He's like, hey, what's up? I was like, what's good? And Suge was glaring menacingly at me as he always did. Uh. I didn't give a fuck. <laughs> and, uh, and I had my joint on me anyway, so it went down heavy. <laughs> and, uh, but me and Suge became friends right. later on. And um, <clears throat> we just talked and he said, are you coming over to Suge's club? And I was like, yeah, but at that time, that under current of the east coast west coast shit was going on and i had a gig to do in vegas that night and i'm like i in my head i'm saying i'm saying yeah but in my head i'm saying if i go over there and y'all get on some anti-east coast shit beat the shit out of me right, right. like i'm dumb for walking in there right, right of course so we had you know we had our words and you know i told my son man i love you man and he's like i love you too i said all right i'll see you later and that's the last time i saw him alive yo who was tupac man who was he tupac was a torn soul um, he was a poet to the highest degree. He had a lot of love for black people because his mom was a panther. So his heart was revolutionary and his soul were with black people. If it wasn't, he couldn't have made records like Brenda's got a baby and dear mama and keep your head up and stuff like that. But on the other side, Pac liked to play. He liked to talk ball of shit. He liked to talk his shit. He's just an all around good dude. That, in my opinion, made the mistake of getting mixed up with the wrong record label. Right, right, right. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's just he was a he's a good dude. My mother loved him. He loved my mother's fucking um, potato salad and and pot- sweet potato pies <laughs> and shit. And he come to town. He stopped by the house and. Everybody on the block loved him. He was just, he was regular. And I saw the change when he signed the death row right. and, and everything became rah-rah. And that beef was so fucking out of control. Dude, I lost three close friends in three years back to back to back. I lost, I lost Stretch in 95. I lost Pac in 96 and I lost Big in 97. That's crazy, man. Right behind each other. That's crazy. And it was really some bullshit, huh? All bullshit, man. All bullshit. The streets at that time had started permeating rap because the drug dealers Used to laugh at rappers. The motherfuckers had money, like money, like motherfuckers had never seen. Like it was nothing for Tommy Mickens and and you know we called him Tony Montana to pull up with two hundred fifty, three hundred thousand in drug dealing cash in the trunk of his car. It was nothing for Alpo and all of them dudes and and and, and dudes from the Bronx and you know to come and have all of this money. Rappers didn't make money like Not that. At all. They was drinking champagne, little splits. We called them splits, little small bottles. The, the little, little yeah, bottles. Yeah, 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 and with a straw in the club. You know what I mean? $25 a pop. Right. We was like, shit, we get, we drinking a slow gin fizz or, <laughs> or screwdrivers. They had money and, and rappers was corny to them at the time. But once they start seeing Puff and Suge make a hundred million dollars, they wanted in yeah. and they forced their way in. Yeah. You know, um, it got to a point where, Yo MTV became so popular that not only the rappers wanted to be on, but like top superstars wanted to be on. You had Bill Cosby on. That was a funny story. He called my house. Bill Cosby called your house. Yeah, he called. Actually, he called MTV. Did, looking, you, did you believe it was him? No, he called MTV looking for me. I got home and it was. I was living in Jersey City and there was a. You remember the answering machine? And there's <laughs> there a message on my answering machine that Ed, somebody from the Cosby Show, called here. Bill Cosby's trying to find you. Call this number back. So first I called back to Ted's office. I said, Ted, Bill Cosby? Yeah, yeah, the Cosby show. Bill Cosby looking the for you. at the top of his right. name. Right, call, call the number. So I was like, shit. And I remember I was like, okay, let me call Silver Cup Studios in Queens and make sure that this is the number. Right. And somebody ain't bullshit. <laughs> right. So I called Silver Cup, and Silver Cup was like, no, yeah, that's the that's the number for Mr. Cosby. Absolutely, for, for Mr. Cosby's office. So I'm sitting there, I'm like, damn, do I call Bill Cosby back or don't I? Because I remember Eddie Murphy saying, Bill Cosby only calls you for two reasons. Either he likes what you're doing or he thinks you're embarrassing the black race and he's going to tell you about yourself. <laughs> so I'm like, damn, am I buffooning on your own TV raps? Like, let me call him back. So I call the number and, I, and a young lady picked up the phone. I said, hi, this is Ed Lover, uh, somebody from the Cosby Show. Called. She said, yeah, uh, Mr. Cosby want to talk to you. Hold on. And put me on hold. I'm like, Bill Cosby is not going to pick up this phone. I'm going to talk to somebody else and somebody else. And he comes right online. Ed, how you doing, Bill Cosby? How are you? And I go, I'm good, Mr. Cosby. No, don't call me Mr. Cosby. You call me Bill. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, here it comes. He goes, listen, man, my daughter, I got a daughter named Erin, man. And all the time she's here and she always tells me, Daddy, you got to see the Yom TV raps thing with the rappers and the hip-hop and the boo-dee-bee-boo. And you got to check this thing out. Daddy, it's funny. And he says, I'm in my dressing room, man, and and my daughter's there and she's got it on. And you come out and you're doing this character. And you got the tape on, your glasses on, and you got the tape in the middle, and you got on like this hunting coat and a hat. I said, yeah, see all of this. Yeah, I said, this is a character I invented called Perry J. Perry Winkle III that talks like this, sir. And he goes, man, and I watched it, and man, I couldn't stop laughing. This is the funniest thing I've ever seen. Man, you're a funny guy. So listen, I'm going to come on your show. And then I'm going to have you on my show. 
And I'm like, you coming to your own TV rap? She's like, yeah, I'm going to come down there and I'm going to spend some time with you and the fat guy, Dr. Dre. And he's just a scratching and he's hilarious. And he came and did a week's worth of shows with us. And then he had me on the Cosby show. And the first time I was on the Cosby show twice, the first time I played a cab driver. Right. And um, that's the first time. And that's the one y'all didn't see. Because I'm telling them my entire generation, I'm going to be on the Cosby show. The Tuesday before the Cosby show, he calls me back. Hey, it's Bill. Hey, Mr. Cosby, how you doing? Don't call me Mr. Cosby. Call me Bill. I'm like, Bill, how you doing? Ed, I got bad news for you. The show ran too long. We had to cut you out. And I'm like, I done told every motherfucker humanly possible. This is the number one show on television. You like 35, 40 million people every week of watching the Cosby show. And I'm going to be on it. And my shit get cut. Oh, man, I was destroyed. He said, don't worry about it. We're going to have your back. And I'm like, okay, Mr. Cosby, thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. I hung up the phone. Bill Cosby ain't never calling me back. month later, phone rings. It's Bill Cosby. Hey, you ready to come do the show again? I'm like, yeah. Have my assistant call you. We'll send a card for you. Come do the show. So I go in on a Monday, and they do a thing called a table read. And you're sitting around, and everybody's there. It's Felicia Rashad and Malcolm Jamal Warren and Raven Simone was a little girl and Lisa Bonet. Like, all of these people that I fucking watched every week and I idolized. And Bill Cosby goes, and, you know, he says everybody's name. And then he goes, and ladies and gentlemen, our good friend Ed Lover is back with us again. And everybody claps. And he goes, Ed, you're good in this show this time. No way we're cutting you out because you are playing the doctor. And I go, what? I'm playing the doctor? He goes, no, motherfucker, you're a cab driver again. And I, <laughs> and I was a cab driver again. But I was so intricate in the story that it couldn't get cut out. That's crazy, yeah. man. Another seminal episode, um, Mike Tyson. Oh, my God. When, when he punched me? He punched you. I, I gotta tell you, I'm gonna tell you two Mike Tyson stories. <laughs> yeah. right. The first one is Mike Tyson is the undisputed heavyweight champion. In the fucking world. And we go to Vegas to do a show, a week of shows where Mike Tyson is getting ready to fight Razor Ruddock for the second time. So we're at Mike Tyson's house. It's a fucking gorgeous house. It's his Vegas house. And it's right on the golf course. So we want to shoot on the golf course walking. And we had, they couldn't find the the fence. They couldn't find a lock. There's padlock on the fence. They couldn't find the, the key. They opened the door so we can walk out. And so Mike goes, fuck it, let's just jump the fence. So the camera guy jumped the fence, and 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 I jumped the fence, and Don King didn't jump the fence. And we're all over the fence, and we're like, okay, Dre jumped the fence. So it's like a seven-foot fence. So, you know, you got the little retaining wall. So Dre gets up, and he's up on the fence, and he's got one leg over, and he's scared to death. And Don King is trying to push him. But he's holding on to Mike Tyson's little, like he had like a little lion sculpture. Like a little ornament on Yeah, on the top of the gate. And Drake comes over the fence and snaps the fucking ornament off of Mike Tyson's house. And he lost, you fat motherfucker, you son of a bitch. You fucking come over my house and break my cheeks. He said, Dre, I'm fucking flying you down here. I'm putting you up in this house for me. I'm going to work your fucking ass off. We're going to get you in some kind of shape. So we're shooting the show. And Dre is behind me with Mike Tyson with the microphone, and I'm in front of him about five, maybe three and a half, four feet. And Ted says, Ed, when Dre asks Mike a question, I'm going to point to you, and I want you to lead to the commercials. So I'm like, fine, I'll do that. So we're walking, and Dre is like, Mike, so you're getting ready to fight Razor Ruddock for the second time. What is it about you, man? What's in your heart that makes you the way you are? Mike goes, yo, Dre, 
You know, I grew up crazy. I had a lisp, and all the kids used to poke fun of me. I cops took me in and taught me how to box. And plus, I'm from Brooklyn. And you know how we get down in Brooklyn, in Brooklyn, Brooklyn, Brooklyn. And Ted points at me, and I go, yo, we'll be back with more Yo! TV rats, man. But my <laughs> man, I am Mike Tyson behind me with Dr. Dre like that. And I don't know what Mike talking about with all that old Brooklyn crap, because I'm from Queens. And ain't no punk ever had nothing from no from Brooklyn, ever had nothing from nobody from Queens. And he runs up behind me and go, oh, Ed, you think you're funny? Bah! <laughs> And his document is on video, and you see me just go down. Like, all the air. He punched me like you punch one of your boys. Like, hey, shut up. But it's Mike Tyson. But it's Mike Tyson. And just everything left me, man. And I, and he, and I got up on one knee, and then I was dizzy. <laughs> and I fell back down, and he, stands, and he stands over me and goes, you're going to sue me, right? You're going to sue me just like that fucking bitch Robin did, aren't you? <laughs> You gonna tell me? I'm like Mike. I'm not. I, I just can I get? Some, I'm like, can I get some water, man? I ain't gonna sue you. You my guy. Like I wouldn't sue Mike Tyson. Man. <laughs> Yo, that's crazy. Yeah, my other Mike Tyson story is I was there was a popular club in New York called Nell's. Yes, and Nell's used to pop. And um, I was going to Nell's one Thursday night, and um, when I was walking in, Mike Tyson was walking out. And he goes, hey, what's up, motherfucker? I'm like, Mike, what's good? What are you doing? So I'm going to, I'm going to Nelson. What's popping right now? Nah, that shit's bullshit tonight. Don't go on that shit. It's whack. Let's do something. I was like, well, what do you want to do? Let's go to the pop. He said, matter of fact, let's go to Queens to the Jamaican shit. It's Thursday night where all the bad Jamaican bitches be. I'm like, you talking about the Q Club? He's like, yeah. It's, Q Club is like the greatest reggae club in the history of all fucking New York City. I don't care what nobody from any other borough says. The Q Club was where every Jamaican artist and everybody on a Thursday came to hang out. Shaba. Right. Shaba, everybody. So we go to the Q Club. I'm like, Mike, my car's in the lot. I'm going to get my car. I'm going to follow you. Oh, fuck your car. Jump in the car with me. All right. Fuck it. So I get in the car with Mike Tyson. He's fucking flying. We go to the you, Q you Club. like holding on? Yeah, I'm like holding white on. We're in the Bentley, right? I'm in the blue Bentley. I'm holding on to the fucking Bentley Azor. We're holding on to the shit. We get in front of the Q Club and we get out. Mike has on Felis, Sergio Ciccini sweatsuit, and like a $70,000 mink jacket. Mm. The fucking hood was like this big, held on by one big-ass button in the back. <laughs> we get in front of the club. It's like 14 of us. We get in front of the club. I said, uh, yo, my man, I got Mike Tyson. You know, we're going to come in and do what we do. Oh, uh, you can't. You ain't, mm, ain't got the right. You can't come in, you know. So we got a dress code. I said, motherfucker, that's Mike Tyson. Like, he's the undisputed heavyweight champion of the fucking world. What are you talking about? You're not, you really not going to let Mike Tyson in your fucking club because he got on sneakers? I got on sneakers. And I know it's Mike, but, man, it's the dress code. You see the shit right here. Can't let him in. So some girl online goes, well, Mike, you need to learn how to dress when you come out. Why did she say that? You fucking bitch, shut the fuck up. Mind your business. Then he hits me again. Ed, who's this bitch? I'm like, Mike, stop, man. Fucking arm is going to swell up. So he gets the owner. The owner comes downstairs and goes, okay, listen, I want to disrupt what I got. I'll let y'all in, but go to the side. So we go to the side door. He lets all 14 of us in. As soon as we get in the fucking club, the DJ looks, turns the music on. Bumba Club! <laughs> you ever been with somebody so famous that your fame is just mean, meaningless? Means nothing. Right. I, I wouldn't know about fame, though. Right. That's Mike Tyson, Bumba Club, and Ed Lover. Mike, Bumba, Bumba. <laughs> They're going crazy. So Mike goes, Ed, let's get some champagne. All right, let's get some champagne, Mike. How many bars? Hey, 10, 15. I'm like, all right. So we get this now. It's about 1.30, 2 o'clock. We drinking champagne. 2.30, Mike taps me again. Ed, what's up, Mike? Tell the DJ I'm buying the bar out to the club close. 
<laughs> what? Yeah, I got it. To the club clothes. Club clothes at 4 o'clock. It's 2.30. You got the entire bar for lot, everybody a, in the club. That's a lot of motherfucking drinks. Right. Into the club. Whatever they want. Champagne, whatever. Mike paying for the shit. I tell the DJ, he cut the music off. People start going crazy. Now it's 4 a.m. We stand there talking shit. It's 4.15, 4.30. I got to go home. We walk outside. Mike goes, hey, we had a fucking ball, didn't we? Yeah, Mike, but I got to go, man. My car is in, is in Manhattan. You got to drive me back to Manhattan and get me. Oh, Ed, I can't go back to Manhattan. I'm fucked up. I said, well, have one of your mans in them drive me or something. Because I got to get home. Man. I got my cars in now. Man. Hey, fuck it. Don't your moms live around here or something? I'm like, yeah, my moms live on north side. Here, take the car. Go ahead. I come. I said, all right. So I take the Bentley halfway cocked and I'm driving. I get to my mother's house. I parked the Bentley in the front. I'm like, shit, this is a fucking Bentley Azor. I cannot leave this shit on the street. So we didn't have a garage in my backyard because it was Ricky. We moved my father tore it down. So the space was there. So I drive the car all the way in and park it. I go in the house. I'm in the basement. I'm asleep. My mother wakes me up. Who fucking Bentley did you steal? And what the fuck? I'm like, Ma, that's Mike Tyson's car. He going to come get it. Okay. Week go by. Nobody calls me. <laughs> Did you take it out for another spin? I wasn't touching that shit. Because <laughs> something happened to it, I can't afford it. Right, right. Two weeks go by, nobody calls. Three weeks go by, I still got the Bentley. Now I take it out. Nigga, look <laughs> I'm rolling. A month go by, nobody calls me. Oh my God. I got this car. I look at my pager, it goes off. 911, 911, 911. I call the number back, it's John Horn, Mike's manager. Hey, Hey, it's John Horn. I said, what's up, John? I know who you are. Yeah, Mike's manager. I said, yeah, I know who you are, bro. What's good? Um, by chance, do you happen to have one of Mike's cars? I go, yeah, I got the, I got the blue Bentley Azor. All right, wait, give me your address. I'm going to send somebody to get it. He sent somebody to get the car. Fast forward 20 years later, I'm in town in Vegas. I see Mike standing by the bar. We get, oh shit. They go, Mike. I go, Mike, ah, motherfucker, you know? We talking. Mike goes, it's a beautiful life, right? I go, yeah, Mike, it's fucking crazy. People are walking up to me. He said, I can't believe people still love me like that. Like, I haven't been a world champion in a long time. And people walk up to me. Hey, Mike. I see people saying, hey, Ed Lover, how you doing? You know, this shit is crazy, right? I never dreamed of nothing like this. I said, me either, Mike. He said, remember them times we used to have a good time, right? I said, yeah, we, we was in Versace. You bought me a bunch of shit I ain't want. And you punched me that time in Vegas. And, and he was like, remember that time we went to the Jamaican shit? Remember that time? I said, yeah, remember we got fucked up? I said, yeah, Mike. I was there. Remember that time we went outside and I gave you the Bentley and you took the Bentley? He said, yeah. I said, yeah. So I wanted you to have it. He said, I gave it to you. I liked you. You was my fucking guy. He said, that fucking bullshit John Horn tracked you down and got the car. If I ever see John Horn, if you listen to this podcast, you owe me 350000 yo motherfucking dollars. Y'all got to add John Horn so he can hear this episode. Plus Y'all got to find John Horn and add him. Plus interest, because that's what Mike <laughs> that's did. That's your car. Mike liked people, and he would, you know, Mike yo, would get women crazy. cars. He would buy Audis and all kind of shit. He gave me the fucking car. So my question is this, man. Yo MTV changes the DNA of MTV. Like to the point where MTV is using hip hop not only to define the show, but itself. You down with MTV? Like it, it jacks. Yeah, me and Todd did that. It jacks hip hop. It jacks your special sauce. Yeah. What happened to the show? Um, MTV started playing hip hop in regular rotation without your MTV raps. And, um, this started happening around 93, 94. And then my manager at the time, 
uh, named Charles Stetler came to us and said, uh, hey, you know, uh, this ain't going to last too much longer. And I was like, Charlie, what you talking about? We, ratings are crazy. He's like, MTV, they're not going to keep this show. They're playing the hip-hop in regular rotation. And Steve Smith from High 97 came and asked us, did we want to do morning radio? And I was like, I work one day a week. I ain't fucking doing morning radio. At 6 o'clock? You got to yeah, be at 6 o'clock. 5 at that time. Five like 5 every day. I ain't doing that shit. And Charlie took a piece of paper and said, this is what Howard Stern makes every year. He said, now what you going to do after MTV? I said, I'm going to do radio. radio. And, and that's how me and Dre got on Hot 97. That's amazing. The last episode. One of, of the most MTV. epic episodes ever. Hey, have, y'all seen, have y'all seen it? Y- y'all got to go online and, and, and find a clip of the very last Method episode. Method Man, Red Man, Ramen Freestyling, Rakim, KRS-One, Surge, Chub Rock. Uh, just a little flavor flaves. It's a little bit of fucking everybody that was just and you, you're yeah. free, and you rapping with these cats. Yeah, and I just closed it out. I just caught the feeling at the time. I was like, listen, I gotta, I gotta end this. You know, it was, it was, it was, it was really heartbreaking because I would have loved to have had eighty nine to ninety nine. If I could have got those ten years, I would have been happy with it. But it ended in ninety six, and thank God I was, st- I was at high ninety seven at the Yo, time. We got to give him a round of applause for that chapter. Because you really changed the game with that, man. It was huge, man. We had, you know, we had Shaq on in his rookie year. You know, Michael Jordan was on with Fab. Like, we had Mel Gibson on, and, and we had all kind of people from every walk of life on, on the show. How did fame change your life, man? Um, it made people different towards me. It didn't, it didn't make me any difference. It did. I was, couldn't afford shit I couldn't afford before. What would you buy, man? I bought, I bought, what what's, the I dumbest, still, what's the dumbest rapper shit you bought, man? I think uh, I bought a platinum E with diamonds on it. <laughs> I don't even know what the fuck happened to that E either. <laughs> yeah. But I wanted to remember that your MTV raps existed for me and that I had a little bit of shot of fame. So the first thing that I did was I was in L.A. and I walked by a tattoo shop and the first tattoo I ever got, it says Ed Lover across my chest. Because if I ever went back to being James Roberts and just having to get a job, I wanted to remember that at one wow. point I was Ed Lover. Wow. You know? So that's the first thing I got. And then Fab had this big MTV ring. Yes. It just, it was solid and it said MTV. And I was like, that's dope, but you ain't MTV. We yo MTV raps. Like right. our attitude with Ted and me and Dre and Fab and Peter was us against these motherfuckers. Right? So I went and found my jeweler on Jamaica Avenue in the Coliseum and and I made him make me the bubble in gold. A plate of the bubble and the MTV is in diamonds. So that's what I did. Yo, how is Dre right now, man? Dre unfortunately is suffering really bad from diabetes. Um he's legally blind. And um, we're just trying to get him. We don't talk as much as we used to, which is one thing that really bothers me. There's something underlying between me and Dre that I don't even know what's our problem. But I love him. And and I'm never going to stop loving him. I've been married to this dude for over 30 years yes. now. You know what I mean? Um, so it'll come together, man. It's like our two brothers, you always bicker about something. I don't know what the fuck we bickering about. I reached out to him the other day through Team Money, and Team Money came back and said, Dre said, Dre said, yeah, Dre said he's not ready to talk to you right now. I'm like, okay, I don't know if it's the illness or what's going on with him, but that's my brother, man. And it's no him, there's no me, no me, no him. So, you know, he's always going to be like that. We'll get it together. Yeah, please, man. Um, you guys create history with your MTV, and then you hit Hot 97. In the so, early days. In the early days. So, you know, before Hot 97, 
The only cats that were playing hip hop 24-7 was out in the Bay Area. K-Day. K-M-E-L. Yeah. Uh, 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 Swing and Tech. You yeah. know, eventually. They wasn't even 24-7 yet. It was Greg Mack and K-Day on the AM. They were the only station. There's an AM station K-Day out of LA that's 24 hours hip hop. Greg Mack broke, um, Easy E's Boys in the Hood. Right. And all of that stuff. He was really, really very responsible for NWA being able to go where they went to because K-Day played hip-hop. KMEL still played some stuff, but they had swaying them, like, on the weekends. Hot 97 revolutionized hip-hop radio. We're the first all-hip-hop radio station in the country. When I got to Hot 97, we weren't all hip-hop yet. We would still dance a little right. bit. We still played funk that. You know, we played right. that. We played, yeah, yeah. we played K7. Come, baby, come, baby, baby, come, come. You know, that's my man. I'm so happy for him because the new, the uh, big movie out right now. Oh, the, um, the one Will Smith is in. Suicide Squad. Oh, and there's a big scene in there where, where they playing Come, baby, come, baby, baby. Ah, that's a check. So big, shout out. It's a, a big nice check, check coming yeah. to him for that. Yeah. So I'm happy for him. So that's the kind of stuff that we played and we had eventually and slowly moved on to being all hip hop. How did you get to the morning slot? Because that was revolutionary. Steve Smith came and said he needed somebody that had a great reputation in hip-hop, and he wanted Dr. Dre and I to do it. Dre had did a Delphi radio, and then we were on BLS at one point on the weekends. Right. Dre and I had our own show, and that ended, and he asked us if we want to do it. And I said, hell no, I don't want to get up every morning and do no radio. And like I said, Charlie showed me what Howard Stern makes, and I was like, hell yeah, let's do it. You know, so we did. Man, I used to be glued to the morning show every day. You guys were so spontaneous. You, I mean, like uh Lisa, what was it? Lisa, Lisa, G. Lisa G, who's now on the, uh, was on the Howard Stern show, yeah. to the point where y'all were the top radio morning slot. Besides, more, besides Howard Stern, y'all were neck and neck. Oh, we used to give him fever. There's a lot of times them books came out twelve plus, and we had beat Howard Stern. And it's something to be the number one morning show in the number one market in the country, but I never got gassed up for it. I remember when Hot 97's ratings used to come in, and they used to throw these big parties and stuff and like in the conference room, and I'd be the one standing in the corner looking at everybody, and we number one, and they'd be like, hey, what's wrong? And I'd be like, you're number one against who? You're the only hip-hop station in the fucking city. Oh. You should be number one. You have no competition. Okay, if you're happy that you beat Z100 and you're happy that you beat Stern, it's fine. But this is a hip-hop city, and there's nobody else doing it but you. But that's it's, bullshit because Stern had the city on lock. Yeah, he did in morning. So it was an accomplishment for us. Right. I felt real good about it. You know, about but as an overall station, I was like, ah, it's nobody else's. It's not real competition. It's like the dream team playing themselves in a scrimmage. We won! <laughs> yeah, but who are you playing? Like a high school team. So for the station, for the morning show overall to be number one was a great accomplishment for me. But for the station to be number one, we were supposed to be number one. Right, of course. Hey, yo, internets, thanks again to Bevel supporting this week's episode of the Combat Jack Show. Bevel is the first and only shaving system created for people with coarse curly hair and sensitive skin. Invest in a razor and shaving system that does more than keep your hair groomed. Invest in something that'll take care of your skin. Go to GetBevel.com and use promo code COMBAT to get 20% off your first month. Again, go to GetBevel.com and use promo code COMBAT to get 20% off the first month of your Bevel subscription. Stop shaving like a wimp and shave like a boss. And now back to the show. So did y'all change the format of rap morning radio like did y'all create that template yeah it was it wasn't there there was nobody else doing all hip-hop morning 
radio the way we did morning radio. And then the Baker Boys in L.A., they was doing like the afternoons and the evenings. They had a roll call. And Steve gave it to us, and I took that shit and flipped it and ran the with it. The whole call was crazy. Oh, man. my God. That what's up, y'all? What you got to say? Who's on the mic with that? Lisa, Lisa and Dre. Dre. was fucking, it was just, <laughs> this shit took the world by storm, man. But I always give the Baker Boys props because right. we didn't invent it. They did. Right. You know? Um, over the years, man, there's been a lot of changes with Hot 97, man. What, what was your feeling when you saw, like, the shifting ties, like from y'all to like Star and Buck Wild, like how was that transition? It was to me, it was it was shock, shock radio. Right. I'm taking none away from Star. Right. He does what he does. I he mean, does brilliant, best. brilliant, yeah, he's brilliant, brilliant when what he does. You know what I mean? But I'm a guy that I have my lane, and I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and I'm not going to change what I do to try to be popular. But what everybody else is doing, you just got to be yourself. You know what I mean? So when that happened, I was like. At some point, he's going to step over the line, and he did. And in rap, we don't take that shit. Right. We really don't. Howard yeah, can do nobody, that shit all day. Yeah, uh-huh. Ain't nobody stepping to Howard. Right. Ain't but nobody it's, stepping. It's different what, because Howard could say Howard is self-deprecating. Yes. You know, he'll talk about himself and how small his dick is and how, how big his nose is, yeah, and, and he can't get it up. And he'll say he don't understand rap and the rap shit is trash and all that. But when you start putting people's personal business out in the street. That's a whole different ball game right there. So did hip hop radio man in a sense become meaner? Yeah. Yeah, it became more aggressive and it became meaner and it became let me get ratings by throwing somebody else under the bus. I never threw anybody under the bus. I tried to bring that feeling to the masses. I wanted you to wake up and laugh. I didn't want you to wake up and be mad at some fucking body. Yo, how are you so funny? Um, I was a class clown. Okay. I mean, I remember my high school teacher, um, my earth science teacher telling me, James, you're nothing more than an unemployed clown. And I was Good like, boy. really? And Damn. Yeah. And I got my first big check from MTV. I cashed it and I came back to the school. He was like, oh, look, one of my former students, Ed Lover from York. Like, you know, like he was really behind me. I threw my <laughs> money on the desk and said, motherfucker, I'm, a un- I'm an employed clown now. What? I took my money and walked out. Yeah. Yo, man. Um. It was always in me, man. Right. It was, it, you know, some people call it jonesing. Some people, where we're from, it's called snapping. Yes. You know, um, it, that's always what I did. It was always going on in school. So I was very skinny. My mother called me 6 o'clock. I'm a little heavier than I was then. <laughs> when we first started on MTV, I had a 29-inch waist, 28, 29. Ooh. Right? So my mother called me 6 o'clock because I was straight up and down. But when you're growing up, and my nose is this size, was the same size when I was fucking seven. You know what I mean? So you got this big bulbous nose on your face and, and you growing up, people are going to go right at you in school. Hey, big nose motherfucker. So what I did was learn all the nose jokes. So I'd say it before you can say it. Then I take your power away. Then I tear your ass yep. to shreds. So when you first start going, all right, I was like, yeah, okay, I got a big nose. Yeah, my nose is so big, I got to use a fucking sheet to blow it. Yeah, I heard it. My nose is so big, I got to use box. I could pick my nose using boxing gloves. Yeah, I heard all of that. What you got now? What about your mother in a fucking wooden leg with the fucking woodpecker on it? What about that? Now they didn't, you know, my mother, niggas want to fight about right, their right, mom. Right, right, right. So it was just snapping and snapping and snapping and snapping and snapping eventually led when I was on Hot 97 to a night at Caroline's and me hosting and Dre on the turntables. And from that, it just led to me wasting time between acts and just developing, developing my own routines. 
And then um, it just led to me going out on the road as a stand-up comedian. And I'm in Peoria coming up, and then I got the Houston Improv, and then the Tom Joyner joined. I'm doing stand-up there, so, you know, that's what I do. What's your first love? Is it, is it music? Is it television? It's hip-hop. It's hip-hop. Second is comedy. That's therapy. You can say whatever the fuck you want to say when you're on the stage. I used to, we used to sneak in my mother's room and take the Richard Pryor and Red Fox albums, which out. is which is excellent training. Yeah, and listen to them, and and that's you know Richard and and Eddie and all of these guys are my idols. So I just think it was just a natural transition for me to do to be a stand up. You got something upcoming with um Oprah. Yeah, um, what is that about? I was the first and only person to ever interview Oprah Winfrey on terrestrial radio. Oprah came when I was on Power One Hundred Five. And I had Jamie Foxx on. I said, Jamie, you cool with Oprah, right? I said, yeah. I said, Oprah's got this reputation that she don't like hip-hop. she tell her to roll through, you know, roll up. If she in the city, roll up. She always welcome. So Jamie and Gail King and Oprah are real cool. And he told her. So she was doing the Legends Ball, and Gail and Oprah was in the car. And Gail said, Oprah, we need to roll up on Ed Lover. Ed Lover's Jamie Foxx's friend. He's a great guy. We should roll up. And Oprah was like, you think we should roll up the Power 105? So yeah. Let's roll up. And I was in the afternoons at the time. Star was doing mornings. They had tried to put Star and I together. I was like, mm-mm, two alpha males. Did y'all try it? No. It wasn't going to work. Star's I can't even alpha. imagine Star's you alpha. I'm alpha. Who's going to lead? Right. I'm used to leading. He's going to want to lead. Right. I'm not, you know, buck wild. Right. Not doing that. So I moved. <laughs> I moved. To, you know, God bless him, but right. I wasn't going to do it. So I moved to afternoons. Kept my same money. I don't care. And I only got to get up in the morning. I work fucking Four o'clock in the afternoon or whatever, That's you know, sweet. so I was, I was cool with it. And, um, my cousin unfortunately had gotten murdered in, in the Bronx and his wake was that night. So I asked to leave early and I was in my car and when my assistant was driving, they called me and said, you got to get back to the station. Oprah Winfrey's here looking for you. I'm like, fuck out of here. Hung the phone up <laughs> and they called back and said, Ed, for real, Oprah is here looking for you. So I told him stop. I jumped out the car, ran back and she was there. And wow. she did. Now you're talking about a billionaire, Oprah Winfrey. Pulling up. All she had was Gail, her, her director of publicity, and one security guy with her upstairs and one guy waiting down. I've sat there when 50 Cent came in with 14 motherfuckers. You know, 50 Oprah, had to, 50 had to have. Yeah, we had to at that 14 time. motherfuckers up. You know, game and come a, through. We got a thousand, yeah. a thousand niggas and Oprah come with three people and she's worth billions. You know, and I had her on the radio, so we developed this relationship. Now, didn't y'all start off a little? We started. Heads? I asked her about hip hop, right? And uh, she was like, "Well, you ain't got a bitch and hold me to death." And I was like, "Did you just say bitch on my show?" She was like, "Yeah, I did." <laughs> and we came to a common chord. And then when she came back, she uh, did uh, something in Madison Square Garden, and she let us broadcast live from there. Invited my mom and my and That's my nice. aunt, my mother in law, and everybody. And she actually came downstairs. To, to see me while wow. we were broadcasting down there and took pictures and sat my mom and them up in the front. And then when they aired it, she was like, Oh, we said, I remember the show. She's like, we still have time left. Well, let's talk about, let's talk about Ed Lover. And her and Gail were talking about me on the Oprah Winfrey show. Shout out to Ed Lover. Ed, Yo, Oprah did a roll up. Crazy. Yeah. Oprah did a roll up. Yeah. We went to say Ed Lover. Hi, Ed Lover. I love Ed Lover. And then, but, and then, Oh, this is all the time we got. Shout out to Ed Lover. <laughs> Bye. And for three weeks, I wish she would have told me she was doing this shit. Because I would have wrote a book in three weeks. <laughs> because for the three weeks after she said my name, I was the most Googled name in America. That's crazy. White wow. women was going, who the fuck is <laughs> Ed Lover? And why does Oprah love him? <laughs> I 
I wish I would have had the book. It's Ed Lover's self-help book. I would have sold like 80 million of them shits. So we've always had a good relationship. And you know when people know you know Ed, you know how the hood is. You know, nigga, ask Oprah. Dude, I'm not calling Oprah, asking Oprah shit. You know, tell Oprah the motherfuckers over here is hungry. Mercy. You remember when she did the shit for the girls in Africa? Yeah, yeah. Tell her the hood more hungry than the we need a community center. I'm like, I'm not that kind of person that bugs people. If right. I know you, if I see you, we cool. I don't call Oprah for nothing. And then when she did the Where Are They Now, she was like, I haven't heard from Ed in a while. I wonder what he's up to. So August 27th on the OWN Network, I'm featured on the Where Are They Now from Oprah. Yeah, how y'all doing out there, man? Because we've been talking for a while. There's people standing back there. Y'all got, y'all got time for like about five more minutes? Yeah. Y'all, y'all good? I love y'all, Atlanta. Um... <laughs> You're still on the radio, man. Yeah, the Ed Lover Show on Boom 1029, based out of Atlanta. All classic hip-hop and R&B. And big shout-out to my executive producer, Krista Hayes, is here tonight. And um, we're in 10 markets right now and growing every day. And it's, 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 it's beautiful. How's it feel, man, after all these years? It feels great because Power 105 fired my motherfucking ass. So... <laughs> So this comeback. Why, why'd they fire you? They fired me. They just said that they wanted to go in a different direction meant they wanted to go younger. And I remember having these conversations with Cadillac Jack, who was a program director. We got to get younger. We got to get younger. I said, Jack, I've been in this business for a long time. They can Google my age. I, it's nothing that I can do about it. And at first, the only problem I had with them letting me go, and I understand that, that, Things happen and people move in different directions and this is business. It's the way they did it. It's like I got called into the, into his office with a meeting and the head of HR was there and they walked me out of the building. I put that fucking station on my back. When they signed on, I was there when they flipped the switch from Jamming 105 to Power 105. I was there taking calls. I gave Power 105 one credibility. When Dre and I came back and got back on the Power 105.1, that was all in the fucking newspaper. That gave them credibility. For me to do what I did, never been less than number five in the market, always was one, two, or three. It's documented. You can look it up. My morning show never dropped under number five for eight years. And for you not to allow me to say goodbye to my audience and to just walk me out the building, to me, was disrespectful. And I'm going to say this, and I don't give a fuck who likes it and who doesn't. Why is Elvis Duran can still talk to 12-plus people, and he's in his 50s, but I can't talk to a hip-hop audience because I'm 40-something years old? You know what I mean? It, it wasn't nothing more than that, and that fact that the economy had changed, and I was making $800,000 a fucking year, and they wanted to save that money. That's all it was, but I don't even mind that. It's just you understand that there's a ceiling for black people in America, and you understand that you're at the beck and call of some people who really don't know fucking hip-hop, but if you had allowed me to at least say goodbye to the audience and to thank the people in New York that had my back, all of those years I would have felt better than you putting me out of the building like a common piece of trash. You, you. You, you touch upon an, uh, an important point um, that men of a certain age in hip-hop feel, and that's how the game is really trying to push us out. Yeah. The, I, the game is trying yeah. to push us out. Like, what the fuck else are we going to do? This is all I, I don't, know. I don't understand why this is the only music that doesn't embrace the elders. Like, 
you'll see Eric Clapton do a show at Madison Square Garden. And at the time, I remember he sold out and they were talking about it on the news and everything. And he was like, ladies and gentlemen, let me bring out a man that inspired me to play guitar the way I do. Blues legend, Mr. B.B. King. And B.B. King was in his like late 70s, early 80s. And half the audience might not have known who B.B. King was, but he introduced them to B.B. King. I remember talking to Kendrick Lamar when I was at uh, Sirius XM, and I said, who inspired you? And he said, you know, when I, my father brought me home from the hospital to Big Daddy Kane. And my thought was, well, do a record with Big Daddy Kane. Introduce Kane to your audience. ASAP Rocky's name is Rakim. After Rakim. His mother named him after, after Rakim. Rakim. So if that's your inspiration and that's the people that gave you reach back and introduce them to your audience so we can continue this music. Because one thing that I preach to all young artists, if God bless you, you're going to be old one day. And people that's, ain't going to want to And then how are you going to feel? Like, I, I just saw a young, um, what's his name? Um, little Yachty? Young Yachty? Young, no, no, it was Yachty. It was Yachty. He, Yachty. It was Yachty. He, Yachty. Did, he did an interview when he was telling the old rappers, y'all need to shut the fuck up. I don't need a hot 16. If I want to make a record by hat, hat, and it's turned up, then, then I, then that's just what it is. And yeah, I agree with it. But if you want to go down as one of the greatest that ever did it, you better have a hot 16. Yes. You better have a hot 36. Yes. You better have a hot 48. Yes. Like, I understand that hip hop changed and there's a lot of shit that I like. Like, you know, there's a lot of shit. I fucking love future, you know, wiggy, wiggy, wiggy. You know, I like to get down too. You know what I mean? But I don't like all of it, but right. I'm not going to down it because right. you have to let them have their stars. When we first started doing hip hop, my father used to, what the fuck is this? Dang, dang bullshit. That ain't music. So we can't turn around and do it to the next generation. But we got to. They can't do it to us. But they can't do it to us. They can't do it to us. We can't, we can't keep pushing and they say, oh, the better, the nineties was the greatest shit ever. Like, yeah, we know. And we know it was, we know it was the most innovative. But what I would say to the young artists today is be who you are. The problem that us old heads have with hip hop is you guys are just following whatever the fuck is hot. Like whoever's the hot producer, you jump on his dick to get a beat and he's all fucking watered down and every record starts sounding the same. The guys that are really doing it, the motherfuckers that are really getting it, the J. Coles and the Kendricks and, and Rhapsody and 3D Not T, these are spitters. Mm. And they are selling the fuck out theaters all around the country Being because different. they are different. Right. And they don't sound like nobody else. So if I had to give them advice, and my son is into hip hop heavy and he likes, he likes logic and he likes Chance to Rap. I think Chance to Rap is fucking amazing. I think Logic is fucking amazing. Like these young dudes, J. Cole, I think, I honestly believe, and Kristen and I argue about it all the time, my executive producer, because she's a fucking Drake's baby mother that just haven't had a baby. <laughs> I think Drake is going to be the greatest that's ever done it. He's closing in on Jay. Yeah, He's and I'm going to tell you why. Because... Now I'm gonna tell you why. The motherfucker. Wait, wait, wait. Y'all gotta listen. Don't come with, come on, son. Come on, son. Not as far as lyricism. Okay, but the greatest, the most profitable artist that ever did it is gonna be Drake. And I'm gonna tell you why. Let me talk. I'm gonna tell you why. He's done, first of all, he has what every rapper is supposed to have. He has the presence. He has the voice. 
he can really spit when he wants to. He proved that when meat jumped out on him. Okay? Women want to be with him. Guys want to be like him. Say whatever the fuck you want to say. Drake changed the game. He made motherfuckers get in their feelings again. Now you have all of these guys singing about how much, oh, I'm going to love you. All that started when Drake started doing that. Think about this. Tupac died early before really tapping into what he was as an actor. If Drake steps out as an actor and does the right shit, it's over. And that's why he's going to be the greatest. Because he can take what Tupac started as an actor and go to the next level. Don't be surprised in the next 10 years if Drake is making $20 million a flick because he started as an actor. So he's focused on Jay-Z's legacy and Fresh Prince's legacy. Absolutely. Did you see him on Saturday Night Live? Yes, yes. He can fucking act. He's an actor. He's an actor. Watch my, mark my words. Mark my words. I mean, like, love said that shit on Combat Jack. Watch. Watch. He's handling, he handles his business. He's already proven that he's not to be fucked with in a battle. Yes. He's already proven that. I mean, I, you know, I put it out there. I put it out there. The battle that I want to see is Kendrick versus Drake. And if, and, no, listen, no, listen, listen. Listen, because everybody was talking about how Meek was that battle rapper, right? At the end of the day, Kendrick will rap circles around Drake, but when Drake drops that hot record, it's a rap. That, that's that's my. Yeah, There's a difference between being able to, to to rap crazy and then be able to drop a record that's a battle record. It becomes a club hit. Yes. And, and that's what he did. Very few people could do that. Oh, yeah. There ain't Very a lot few of people, people could that could do that. that. Yeah. He hit that one in the back to back. We, we all know the lyrics <laughs> of that shit. Not a world tour, your girl stole. Like, God damn. Chicken figures turned to Twitter figures. Yeah, he bodied the nigga. It was, it, was, it was like, it was equivalent to the first time we heard Takeover. Oh, my God. You know, X Nas, he don't want to wear over. No. Yeah, the bridge. I, I I tell Karis one all the time. I fucking hated you when you make the when you made the bridges over. Why you had to throw the entire <laughs> borough of Queens under the bus? Cause you got problems with Shan. Queens is always faking it. Shan don't represent <laughs> all of us. Yeah, Queens is always faking it. They rather like yeah, you motherfuckers. Yo, listen, man. Um, you've had an illustrious career. And and it's picking up even more because people are now starting to come around and appreciating and valuing the premium that we have, that we bring to the table. People like you who've survived so many errors, it's a premium. Talk about, and you don't see it that much right now in media, you don't see it, you don't hear it that much in radio, but talk about the responsibility in your voice. Like how it's, you have to be responsible. You have to, I'm so proud of Jay-Z right now. I'm so proud of Hove. Um, what Hove did by making the record that he made is a shed light on the Black Lives Matter movement. He was always quietly giving money out to people without looking for fanfare. But I needed him to step up and say something. And it's powerful. And what, and what Beyonce did when she stepped out and did a video is powerful. She took a lot of flack for it, but fuck it. We don't need to ask white people permission to take care of ourselves. It's, this is our lives. This, they, 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 a lot of white people, and I'm not saying all, and I'm quite sure you have a lot of white fan, fans that listen to it, and they may be liberal-minded people that understand where we're coming from, but the majority of white America look at us through binoculars. If they don't have to fuck with us, 
they don't fuck with us. But on the other side, we can't do it because you turn on the TV and it's white people on commercials and white people in this. And if there's a new sitcom on, it's the one black friend. You know, it's never even. And you go to the movies and, you know, The Departed came out and Anthony Anderson was in it. And I didn't know it till I went to the fucking theater because they don't put us in the trailer. Not understanding if you cut the trailer for Anthony Anderson, friends, all the black people go see it because we love Anthony Anderson. You know, we didn't know um Taraji was in the curious case of Benjamin Buttons until the shit came out. She wasn't in the trailer. So our lives is a lot different. And for... Our voices, we have to use our voices to better the country. We have to. It's a responsibility of you. And I don't give a fuck how much money you have. You have to use your voice to better the community. Because you know what happened? I remember one time they asked Young Thug something about about it. He was like, man, we just trying to get high and get smoke out shit. We don't give a fuck about that. We getting paper. When they kill your motherfucking brother... Then you're going to want everybody to step up and say stop the violence and stop police violence and stop and black lives matter because it'll get to you. I don't you can't find a gate tall enough and long enough and big enough and your house can be three hundred twenty five thousand square feet. It affects you because one day you're going to pop out your car and go to the ATM and somebody from the lower class going to stick that pistol in your face and take your shit. So if you don't speak up for us now, if we don't stand together and speak up for each other, then we're just doomed to be back into slavery sooner or later. Dr. King did it, and he didn't have to do it. And if anybody lives in Atlanta, where, we, where we're doing this from right now, take a trip down and look at where Dr. King lived at in, in, in Sweet Auburn. He grew up middle-class America. He had a washing machine in his fucking house <laughs> when there were shotgun houses across the street. He was a Morehouse man. He was on his way to his father had one of the biggest churches in Atlanta. He didn't have to give a fuck about people who are less than him. So how do we make money off of hip-hop, which is the audience supporting you? How do we make money and live good and put our children through college and drive $450,000 Maybachs and fly private and not give a fuck about that person who's out here living this shit every day? It's your responsibility, so I do it. Some people get a big head, man. They, they, they get a little crazy. And, and this is the best time to do it because never has our voices been so pronounced. That's right. In this internet age, man. We got buying power. Yes. And we got the power to speak directly to our people without yes. having to go through, you know, um, we don't have to go through Power 105. We don't have to go through Hot 97. We don't have to go through Boom 1029. You know, it's you guys listen to the fucking Combat Jack show. Yeah. That means something. You know what I mean? And when he called me and asked me to do this podcast, I said, absolutely, I'll, I'll do the podcast. I said, but check this out. I want to do, come on, son, it's the podcast <laughs> on your platform. <laughs> so y'all look out for, come on, son. Come on, it's son. It's the podcast <laughs> on my man's network. Wow. And, and I can say what the fuck I want to say. <laughs> wow. Before I end, man, where did come on, son, come from? It's the most natural, organic thing I've ever done. In my entire life. And I have to thank DJ Drama for it. And and I we had him on the radio show and we laughed about it because Drama was the very first come on, son. Drama and Jeezy had a problem at Jeezy's USDA album listening party because Gucci was the hottest motherfucker in the country at the time. And Drama was DJing. Uh, Jeezy had paid him and he's dropping Gucci records. But if you're playing a party, you got to play what the motherfuckers want to hear. And Jeezy got mad. 
because Drama was playing Gucci Mane records and they had beef, a little bit of disagreement about it. And I wanted to talk about it. So I sat at my computer and I did a video blog on it. And at MTV, we used to Chiron stuff on the screen. Like the Ed Lover Dance would come on or, you know, the artist's names would come on. And I didn't know how to do it. And I just moved into my house and I grabbed a piece of cardboard and I wrote, come on, son, on the cardboard. And everything I said, I just lifted it and I said, come on, son. And I lifted it up and I gave it to my friend Money Nels, who was working with 50 Cent at yes. the time at thisis50.com. And he put it up and it got 70,000 hits in like two weeks. And I started reading the comments and I got so discouraged. Oh, this old motherfucker. Uh, fuck him. He don't know what the fuck he talking uh, about. And Nell said one thing to me that I will always remember. He said, fuck their comments. They watched it. <laughs> That's the point. In order to comment on something, you have to watch it. I love people that tell me, your motherfucking show is whack, motherfucker. That shit you said the other day, you don't know what the fuck you talking about. You listen to it. <laughs> That's what I put it up for. And, and the shit just took off. So what it did was give me new life with the younger generation. So the older people know me from Young TV Rats, from the movie Who's the Man, for everything that I've done. But the youngins, I'll walk in the room, come on, son. <laughs> so shit, God bless it, man. It's the most organic thing I've ever done yes, in my yes, life. Yes, 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 And what's the future of Come On, Son? Future's Come On, Son, man. It's Come On, Son. It's just a podcast, baby. Let's do it. So we're doing that and, you know, I'm still, I'm, uh, he talked to me and he told me, Ed, the main thing with anything you're doing is consistency. I've been so fucking inconsistent with Come On Son for various reasons. But now we got green screen capabilities at the studio right there. So all I got to do is go shoot the shit, send it out to my man to edit it and put it up. So every two weeks, you guys can guarantee to look nice. for it. It'll be there. Nice, nice, nice. Absolute last question, man. Top five MCs of all time. Can I get an honorable mention? Yes, one honorable mention. Top five MCs of all time are as follows. And no particular order. No particular order. Without a doubt, Notorious B.I.G. Without a doubt, Jay-Z. Without a doubt, Jay's a lyricist, his longevity. Do-rag Jay? Do-rag Jay. Yeah. What? Yeah, Jay-Z, without a doubt. Biggie, without a doubt. Um... Nas without the shadow of a doubt. Like, what you think about that new record? I love Nas. I love Nas. Nas, Nas did a fucking record backwards. He's a fucking. <laughs> now take out the Escobar shit. The, the you know, you. Um, I never like you owe me. I know it was a hit. I thought it wasn't Nas. You know, Virginia wine. Yeah, yeah yo, Timberland. No, no, nah, I didn't. I didn't think that was. I didn't think that was pristine Nas, but I understand it. <laughs> I tell Jay all the time, if I bump in the hole, I tell him all the time. I remember the, the, the Magna Carta album came out. I didn't like it too much. And he was like, I heard you ain't like my album. I said, no, nah, I don't like it at all. I understand what you're doing. Right. And I understand who it's for. It's for a younger generation. But that's not the Jay-Z that I love. Yes. You know, this dude say he's this shit. Okay, I, I get it. But it's not the Jay. I like the introspective. You must, you must love me. I like yeah, that right. Jay. You know, I, that's the Jay when you're thinking and you know, I like the, 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 uh, American gangster album and the, that, that whole. So I got Jay. I got Nas. I got Biggie. I got Rock Him the God MC. And I got Big Daddy Kane. Woo! The B-I-G-D-A-D-D-O-I-K-E-N-E and, and, I got to have two honorable mentions, KRS-One. No, no, I need three. 
I need three. Okay. KRS One, LL Cool J, and Andre Three Fucking Thousand. I had never seen nobody jump on a record like Walk It Out. (laughs) And do such a fucking memorable verse, right? He jumped on Walk It Out. Not to mention Bombs Over Baghdad and all that. Forever, forever, ever, forever, ever. Not to mention that shit that he did, but you walk it out like Usher. If you say real talk, I probably won't trust it. That shit and 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 the, and the joint he did with 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 Pimp C and Bun B. Oh and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh? International players anthem. Oh my! I cc'd every girl I had cc'd around town. That boy, yo, that boy is fucking nice, yo. And that's my top five of all time. Damn, shout out to Eminem, Nasty, Redman is Nasty, Pac goes in there. But I'm a lyric guy. I know I understand X is Nasty. I understand Pac's appeal. But Pac, I got to say, for me, he never said nothing that made me go, oh, shit. Now, I understand his appeal because he, he got to your heart. He got to your heart with what he was saying, and I understand Pac's appeal, but I'm a lyric motherfucker. You know, so Andre 3000 makes me say, oh, my God, the scrunch face. Right, Jay make, Jay make me go, mmm, like, mmm. You know, I'm at the, I'm in the, you know, I'm in the 1500 seats <laughs> watching Tyson. Me and Python, same night, same fight, but one of us cats ain't playing right. I'll let, I'll let you, you tell it. it. Put yourself in the shoes of two fellas and tell me you wouldn't ball every chance you get and any chance you hit. We live for the moment. Make sense, don't it? Like I that kind dollars. of You're right. Make dollars. Yeah, I don't call it the airport. I call it the clearport. Therefore, I don't want to hear more about who, back and forth about who holler. It's young holler. Excuse me. Come on. Jay's a fucking amazing. You know what I mean? That shit that make me go, goddamn, like Biggie with the dash like dame shit. Yeah. You know, who shot you? Separate the weak from, from the, the obsolete. Hard to creep the Brooklyn streets. It's on, niggas. Right. I can feel sweat. How you tell a nigga I can hear sweat trickling down your cheek? What? Your heartbeat sound like, like Sasquatch feet. What? And, and, and don't get me wrong. Eminem is the nicest white boy that ever walked the face of this motherfucker. Earth. That boy right there can spit. Yes. Eminem is a problem. Like when they was talking that Drake Eminem shit, let me Woo. tell you, Drake, you don't want that. I love bro. you, Trey. I love you, I love you, Aubrey. <laughs> but you don't want that because I can see Eminem going A and then just running it down. You running it down. B running it down. R running it down. E running it down. Why? Why is for you? Because you ain't nice, motherfucker. And niggas be like, oh. <laughs> like I can see him just running down what Aubrey Graham and just. You know, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. So M is, it's a lot of nice motherfuckers, man. Yes, 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 yes. It is a lot. And and everybody's top five is subjective. I could never, I I will never get into an argument with with somebody's top five. I think if you do top fives, you should do top fives by era. Yes. You think so? Yeah. I think you should take it from Melly Mel because Melly Mel is really the reason why we rap the way we rap today. 
Melly Mel was the first one to do whole the architect. Before that, we was to throw your hands in the air. You know, it was a curse blow. Yes, Man, yes, yo. Man, to the beach, yo. Right. To the beach, yo. Mel came out with Child is Born with No State of Mind and Blind to the Ways of Mankind. Like that record, the message changed rap 100%. It made everybody say that I could say what's really going on. They did the first rap reality record. Yes. So in that era, Melly Mel, Grandmaster Cads, the nicest motherfuckers ever. Yes. The next era is Kane and Rakim. Yes. Then the next era is Biggie, Jay, and Nas. Yep. You know, and then you go on from there, and yep. then you got, you know, the dog. What your niggas want? Yeah. Oh, Rhonda, Shonda, Alicia, Aisha. About three Kims, Rhonda, and Talit. Well, that nigga's nasty. X, one of the best that ever did it. My favorite X record, my favorite X record is right after Rough Riders Anthem. It's called Fucking With D. So on y'all niggas, mine. Fucking with me. I guess nobody told you about fucking with D. Stuck in the tree is what you will be. Like a cat. And I'm the dog at the bottom. Look it up. Now what's that? Your worst nightmares that I take it right there. You got niggas coming where they at right where. I make it like, eh, blowing away. Oh my God. The DMX. I don't give a fuck about y'all niggas cause y'all ain't giving nothing. Whoa. Woo. Yo, 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 Ed, man. You got to give us a favor. You got to do us a favor, man. You got to leave us. With a little freestyle. With the freestyle? Right here. Uh, you, you just showed us how nice you was on Yeah, I'm sweating else. like a motherfucker. <laughs> thinking I'm dead. Trying to find a freestyle from the top of my head. Sitting here with my back against this cold steel chair while the people in the audience sit and stare. I've never been bullshit. I've never been whack. It's proven because I'm sitting here with Combat Jack. I'm on a podcast that reaches millions. I used to be a motherfucker almost worth billions, but then I fell off and y'all thought it was over. And then I came back and I'm stronger and colder than I've ever been on a motherfucking mic. And I can always say the rounds that all the ladies like. So if you want to get with me, yeah, I'm 53, but I'll take you home and break you down with this tree trunk. Send my pants. <laughs> That's a little bit of something right there. <laughs> the crazy shit about freestyle is I could probably never say that rhyme again. And I just made this shit up while I was sitting there, so I don't even know what the fuck I just said. Yo, listen, man, this has been excellent. We got to do this again and again and again. I want to see you again. I continue. I want to continue to see you prosper. Um, Atlanta, you guys have been an amazing Boom, audience. Boom, 1029, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. is the Ed Lover Show. Thank with you so Love. much. Thank you to our sponsors, Bossip, Play Closing, of Bossip, course. Bossip, what up? Of course, acid for powering this. Hashtag experience acid. Experience acid, baby. Bossip, do I need to do some ill shit to get on a, on the page? Or Come on, Bossip. We got some Bossip in the building. We got Bossip in the building. I think I'm going to get arrested on the my, way my, home. My man so right there. <laughs> my man right there. What's up? What's up, Ja? So, love y'all, man. Sure, for sure, real. So, sure. let me wrap this the way I usually do. Ladies and gentlemen, dream those dreams and then man up, woman up, and live those dreams. Because a life without dreams is black and white and the universe flows in Technicolor and surround sound. Hey, yo, Internets, once again, we got to thank Spotify Discover Weekly for supporting this week's episode of the Combat Jack Show. Spotify Discover Weekly has a playlist waiting for you with 30 songs you've never heard before that they know you're going to love. There's a new playlist every Monday waiting for you, personalized for your tastes. Go to Spotify.com slash Discover Weekly right now to listen to your Discover Weekly playlist.
This episode of the Combat Jack Show was produced by Jonathan Mena, executive produced by A. King and Chris Morrow, engineered by Samir Karan, and recorded in the Engine Room Audio Studio in downtown Manhattan. This is an official Loudspeakers Network's production. What's poppin', y'all? Alexa Layton here. And it's about that time of the year again. What time of the year am I talking about? I'm talking about the 12th annual A3C Festival and Conference. And it's going down October 5th through 9th in the beautiful Atlanta, Georgia. So make sure you head over to www.a3cfestival.com to purchase your tickets. A3C Festival. Empowering, inspiring, and educating those that shaped the hip-hop culture for 12 years. Powerful Impact Boom from the podcast. Yo, 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 I'm just giving y'all a shout-out. I'm calling to let y'all know, man, that the podcast with Dr. Hill and Miss Rapley was on the money. It was perfect timing, especially with all the things that's going on right now. It's good to, you know... The book recommendations I gave was on the money. Any podcast that give at least five book recommendations is a great podcast to me. Um, it was just a pleasure to listen in on the podcast. It seemed like I was sitting right there with y'all, and you asked all the questions that if somebody was sitting across from them would have asked them. So I think it was a great podcast. You know what I'm saying? Miss Rapley was in it. It's so, it's so refreshing to hear a black woman. What was the term she used? Unapologetically black. I like that. It's so refreshing to hear a black woman speak so intelligent, and she was articulate. She had her shit together, and she's doing things. And you know, we need more of that. It was refreshing to hear that on your on your on your on your platform, because you know, every time we hear black women, there's always some ratchet or some gossip or some nonsense. But this sister was very intelligent, and she was informative, and she was inspiring, and you know, she was very her message was very radiant, and I thought that was good, man. And hopefully we see more of that. You be having a lot of hard legs up there, man. You have a lot of hard legs on your show, man. So, you know, hopefully we see more of that. So that was a good thing. And, um, you know, I want to see y'all win, man. I know I be leaning on the show a little bit, but, you know, I'm leaning on, I be leaning on y'all because you got a precious gym, man. You got something good, man. So I want to see y'all win. And one thing, man, I agree with King, man. These black intellectuals or these pundits or these journalists or whatever they call themselves, they need to stop going on Fox, man. Fox is a is a public relations firm for for white supremacy, for the perpetuation of white supremacy, man. They have a racial animus towards black people, man. And all you these black intellectuals or whatever they they need to stop going on there, man, because they're wasting their time. These people are a bunch of they 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 have a script and agenda. So y'all are wasting your time going. Stop going on Fox. I mean, if you want to push your product or your book, I get that. But stop trying to debate with these motherfuckers, man, because y'all wasting your time with that, man. Just just stop it. But otherwise, Combat Jack, man, keep the edutainment coming, man. Keep the keep bringing that edutainment, man. You, this, this podcast was all that raised the bar and all that you was talking about. Keep bringing that, man. Keep bringing that edutainment, man. And y'all be cool up there, man. Peace.